Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, May 31st, 843-661-0937 is our number. I would ask Mike how he's doing, but he's got laryngitis. Uh, he's got something wrong with his voice, but he can't speak this morning. So oh, let's, we'll make leave, it, let's make him talk. Uh, we'll Come leave on. Freehold oh, alone this morning. Good morning, Rev. Here. How are you? <laughs> Everything morning. going well in your world? So far. After a um, a long weekend? Yes, sir. Happy Memorial Day to all. I don't know if that's appropriate. Happy Memorial Day. It's such a um, a solemn and serious holiday thank you to all the families who have um lived through someone paying the ultimate sacrifice that allows uh you know a goofball like me four hours every morning to express himself or articulate uh inarticulately however uh, <laughs> however he you can articulate he sees fit. yeah right, did articulate unarticulately inarticulately <laughs> i think would be the uh would we I'd, I'd rather have it said that way but thank you thank you thank you i mean that sincerely barry wingard was here thursday um inviting many many um of our listeners to a memorial day ceremony they do this every year um i was down to the beach in Horry county busiest memorial day i can ever remember at the beach um saturday on the uh on the ocean uh it was about like july 4th i mean it really was it was a um pin-up demand don't have any idea covid relief don't have any idea but it was a um a very celebratory weekend in um on the grand strand or along the grand strand i think they call the southern end now the hammock coast everybody has this marketing and branding so in georgetown county you know where merle's inlet ends and you got lich well you got the huntington i'll tell you this i saw um friday saturday and sunday the huntington state park sign said park is full oh wow. so there apparently was a um a big crowd down there and i'm um, celebrating memorial day but but once again let's not i mean it, it's it's fun it's it's a, it's a lot of um you know cooking and grilling and um, we celebrate a day off work but in all honesty it is the most solemn and serious holiday i can think of because it is when we pay our respects and tributes to those who um obviously the ones that pay the ultimate sacrifice can't hear us but the family certainly certainly can. So from the bottom of our hearts here at Wake Up Carolina, thank you, thank you, thank you. Got several things here we'll get to. Um, some pent-up demand on Wake Up Carolina. Uh, a couple of days of are not you, being you, here. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, maybe <laughs> okay. not with our listeners. Right. I mean, I hope they're ready for us to get back in action. Um, got some polling in the 7th Congressional District. Mm. Uh, we've not Ooh. had any of that. We've got some preliminary. Uh, it's not very preliminary. Two weeks from today. We'll have a uh, an election here in the seventh congressional district. Got some uh, polling that I have vetted, and I find to be um, uh, credible. I don't want to say it's exact. I think there's a little bit of push in this poll, not much, but a little bit. Um, I did some investigative journalism over the weekend and found that um, it may have been a little bit pushy, but not very much. Uh, we can talk college baseball, or we cannot. Um, uh, the the Walford Terriers. Not, not much to say. Well, I mean, the Wal- if you're let's think, imagine this. I mean, well, imagine this. I mean, you got two teams de- deeply disappointed for not being invited into the college baseball playoffs, uh, and they're not Carolina or Clemson because the Gamecocks and Tigers just simply didn't belong. Coastal makes it. I mean, they're probably the best baseball program in the state right now. I mean, year after year, Coastal is probably the best college baseball program in our state right now. The two teams that should have gotten in that didn't were Walford and the College of Charleston. I mean, Walford for sure should have gotten in. They did not because they're Walford. You know, um, 
had Clemson or South Carolina had a uh, a resume similar to Walford, they would have got in without a doubt. So imagine how the mighty have fallen when Clemson and South Carolina's baseball program are not in the college baseball playoffs, and they're probably the two teams that don't have a right to be as frustrated as the College of Charleston or Walford. I guess what I'm arguing is the Gamecocks and Tigers are the fourth and fifth best college baseball program in our state this morning as we speak. So congratulations to um, Coastal Carolina. I'm sorry, Walford and College of Charleston and Gamecocks and Tigers. You just better figure out a way to get your feces consolidated because your baseball programs are just shadows of their former selves. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Yeah, Verd has been on the line since before the show started this morning. Must be something uh, big on your mind. Hey, Verd, good morning. Good morning, uh, Ken and Dave. Yes, it is. Uh, today uh, in South Carolina and every uh, election office in each county, uh, no excuse early voting starts. Uh, it was part of the uh, bill that Governor McMaster signed into law last Wednesday, May the 8th, 18th. And Anybody can go vote. Uh, of course, we're targeting people that work shift work. Uh, June 14th, that's a prime time to have all-day thunderstorms, and that's always on people's minds. And, of course, that kills voter turnout on Election Day. And just anybody that wants to vote early, uh, maybe not be in a line at their polling place on Election Day, June 14th, can go by from 8.30 to 5 p.m., four days this week and five days next week. And that'll be the two-week period for early voting. And we want to put up some big numbers for the Republican Party. Uh, I think that uh, it's a chance for us to put some historical numbers up, both in this early voting period and also on uh, June 14th, uh, primary day. But like I said, it was a lot of hard work went into the bill. I worked on it uh, along with Governor Master and uh, State Chairman Drew McKissick, our South Carolina GOP. And of the 20 proposals we wanted in the bill, we got 18 of them. So, Ken, you were lieutenant governor. When you can get 18 uh, proposals in a bill uh, out of your 20, that's a, a huge success. And when you have the state Republican chairman standing hand-in-hand hand with the uh, – well, I wouldn't put it that way, but standing beside the uh, Democratic chairman of the uh, party in South Carolina and uh, both endorsing the bill, that's about as good a bipartisan uh, bill as you can get. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate all the work. And I'll just say this as somebody presiding over the Senate. If you get the Senate to pass anything, I mean, that's that's a good day's work. The House normally gets those um gets those bills out of subcommittee, full committee, and uh, the floor gets to the Senate. And uh, I mean, it's just a screeching halt uh, that you hear. Let's do this. I mean, we've got our listenership that, that you know, is in and out. we got a, a crowd that listens early in the morning, crowd that listens late, uh, you know, middle part of the show, and then probably another crowd that listens late in the day. These are important numbers, I think. So let's start. I've got some data here that I think you'll find very interesting. Um, I've been waiting for you to get well, to let me, it. Let's, let's do this. Let's stop at the top and go to the bottom. Uh, let's start, start somewhere. Um, in, you can't vote on the American presidency in America, but you can in England. And they've got these S markets. These are um, uh, just digital markets that you can wager on whatever it is you choose to wager on. Um, Kind of like the Super Bowl betting. You can bet on who wins the coin toss. Does Tom Brady throw the first touchdown pass? Does, you know, does he throw an interception that goes for a touchdown? I mean, there are, you can bet on about anything you'd like. Well, in England, some of the betting houses, they call them S markets. And today, Donald Trump is the odds on favorite to be elected president in 2024. Really? Stick with me for a second. Okay. Um, 26% chance of Trump being elected president. 
um, 16% chance of Joe Biden being elected president, 14% chance of Ron DeSantis, um, Kamala Harris, 6%. So it's really a trifecta. It's Trump, it's Biden, and it's DeSantis. Now, if you take Trump or DeSantis out of the equation, in other words, if Ron DeSantis found out that Donald Trump has no interest in running, DeSantis goes to about 66%. So he wins about two in every three models of our presidential campaigns. Now, once again, DeSantis probably doesn't beat Trump in a, a Republican primary. I mean, I've gone on the record. I think it'll be hotly contested. I think it'd be very competitive. But the odds makers are saying, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but our money's still on Trump if Trump decides to win, excuse me, run in a Republican primary. So DeSantis's number is watered down. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. If DeSantis runs and Trump does it, I mean, his numbers go, once again, to about 66%. Um, why is Biden's higher than, uh, than DeSantis? Because DeSantis has to deal with Trump. I mean, you know, Biden is going to be the proverbial nominee if he chooses. I would imagine if he's conscious and aware and, uh, well, doing, you know, second weekend at Bernie's. Maybe we call the, you know, Biden runs again, we'll just call it the um, the sequel. The sequel to the weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> the It'll full be the week second. at Bernie's. Yeah, a full week, a full year, full eight years at um, <laughs> at Bernie's. So um, so right now, the um, the betting markets in England have Trump at 26%, Biden at 16 DeSantis at 14 Harris at 6 I just find that a little bit entertaining. Uh, we're about two years out, a little better than two years from the presidential campaign. But but the fingerprints of these administrations are going to be on the midterms, um, the Trump midterms, the the Biden midterms. I mean, they, you know, these are still the two um, forceful figures in American politics. Um, let's go to the uh, to the Wyoming Club for Growth poll. You ready? I mean, this is encouraging to me, guys. This is as good as it gets if you are um, someone who believes in America first. Harriet Hagman is at 56%. That's an astronomical number. Now, I don't have a source in Wyoming to inquire about whether, I mean, I know it's a pushy poll, but how pushy was it? In other words, how inflated are Hagman's numbers? 56, she's up 30 over at Liz Cheney. I mean, if there's any validity at all to that poll, it's over. I mean, you don't make up 30 points in Wyoming. Now, they've got until August. I mean, this election is a good bit later than ours here in the 7th Congressional District. That includes a Trump endorsement and a Trump impeachment vote. That's why I'm keeping up with Wyoming, because I think there are parallels here. There are similarities to the Wyoming race and the uh, and the 7th Congressional District race. Now, we'll say this. I think there's a, there's a difference here. And I think the difference is, and, and I've said it over the air before, the difference is Cheney is anti-America first. Ross is not. I mean, they have similarities in their running against Trump-endorsed candidates, and they have the impeachment vote weighing their campaigns down. But I don't think Rice is an anti-America first Republican. Cheney is. I mean, there's no doubt about this. I mean, she is an absolute anti-America first, epitomizes anti-America first. Um, and Peter Thiel said over the weekend, I don't know if you saw this or not, um, The Guardian wrote a big article on Thielism. And uh, The Guardian's a liberal publication. Uh, it said that... Um, and, and he says, and I quote, you know, I'm spending my money trying to convert Trump's ideology to a disciplined political platform. What have we said over the um, last couple of years? Intellectual grit, you know, so some substance to this emotion, this populist energy that is so permeating the Republican Party. And I think Teal said it um, about as well as you can. And I mean, he deserves to say it. He's written $27 million worth of checks 
to J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, who now leads in Arizona. Really? I mean, Masters is now leading in Arizona with only about 20% of the votes. The undecideds are still through the roof in Arizona. So let's go to the 7th Congressional District. So once again, Hagman and a Club for Growth poll is at 56%. Um, Cheney's at 26%. Let's go to the 7th Congressional, Congressional District poll. We'll have another corroborating poll sometime this week. But I did some research over the weekend, and this is a valid poll. Now, once again, I think this poll is a little bit pushy when it comes to uh, Representative Fry's numbers. I think his numbers are a little bit inflated by the characterization of the poll. In other words, um, I mean, you, you, you ask these questions in when, a leading Yeah, when you sort say of pushy, way. that's what you mean. It's it, kind of a leading question. It, it, it's not real leading, but it is a little bit. I mean, the, okay. the, their campaign will argue it's not pushy at all. I would push back on, their, on them <laughs> saying that, say, I, I, I don't know that it is. I think it's a little bit a little bit pushy, but I still think it's very legitimate. So here's the numbers. You ready? Hot off the press. Russell Fry, 39%. I think that's a little inflated. I mean, I really do. I mean, it, with all due respect, I think that 39% is a little bit inflated. Rice at 23%. I've always said I got him in the mid-20s. I think there's a chance he gets to 40 I think there's zero chance he gets to 50. My personal, now that's not a poll. That's not Club for Growth. That's not Trafalgar. That's a moron with a radio show. So you can take that for what it's worth. But anyway, Fright 39, which I think is a little bit inflated. Rice at 23, which sounds to me to be about right. Undecided is at 18. I think some of the undecided, I would have the undecided probably at 23, 4, and Rice at about 32 or 3. I would take some of the Rice vote, put them back in the undecideds. And I, it's hard for me to explain why. And I don't know if you'd care me explaining why. But I think Rice's number is, a, excuse me, Fry's number, little bit inflated at 39. Not much, but a little bit. I think Rice's number is about where I'd have him at 23%. Undecided's 18%. Barbara Arthur at 8%. Mark McBride at 5%, um, Ken Richardson at 4%, Garrett Bart at 2.3%, Spencer Mars at 1.7%. The reason I, I mean, I can round up, round down, and, and have um, Barton and Mars at 2%, but Bart is a 2.3, Mars is a 1.7. Um, and I, what did I tell you I thought Barbara Arthur would be? Approaching possibly I, I, 10. I, I said she may get to 10%. We've got her here at 8%. Wow. Um, she is the one campaign that's gone from nothing to something. But she really has. Give her the give the lady credit. Um, I know some that like her. I know some that don't like her. But she's gone from from about zero to eight percent. Everybody else has kind of meandered about. Mark McBride's at five percent. We don't hear much out of him. But he's a former Myrtle Beach mayor. There's probably a built-in. I mean, it's not a big universe, but there's probably a fairly solid universe of supporters he had when he was mayor that he's held on to since then. Um, but that's hot off the press. I mean, those numbers broke Friday. Um, I think our friend at Fitz News, Will Folks, covered that poll, um, substantiated to some degree as I have. The only thing that I think, I don't think it's intentionally misleading, but I think it's a, a little bit pushy on the uh, on the Fry number. And when you corroborate that number to the Hagman number in Wyoming, you don't vote to impeach Donald Trump. I'm sorry. I mean, the, the Trump endorsement is not the the centerpiece of this race. It's just not. The Trump endorsement's good, it's nice, it plays well in some of these red districts, but this election is all about the Trump impeachment vote. Um, you know, is there a price to pay in Wyoming 
for impeaching Trump? Is there a price to pay in South Carolina for impeaching Trump? I've maintained there is. There's some out there that say there's not. Um, you know, the one thing we can't do, Rev, and let's be careful here, Trafalgar, Trafalgar will furnish us with data this week. I'm sure of that. I mean, we thought we'd have it last week. It was a short week for us. This is a short week for them, Memorial Day. I hate to say that one day goose everything up, but it kind of gets us running behind a bit. But we'll have some other data to corroborate some of this data, and I think it'll be very similar. The one prediction I'll make about Trafalgar's data, I think they'll have a, a representative fry a little bit less than 39. I think the other numbers will, will be in line. There is no way to know how many Democrats will cross over and vote uh, in South Carolina in the 7th Congressional District. Here's the problem with Cheney. There ain't no Democrats in Wyoming. I mean, there are some in South Carolina that could cross over. And, you know, how bothered would you Republican primary voters be if Democrats crossed over to help you choose your nominee? I mean, you said you would be deeply bothered by that. I got to believe a lot of our listeners would be concerned and bothered by that. But I got to believe that's some of the um, some of the right strategy. We had an op-ed in our local newspaper, I think last week, uh, a caller to the show uh, say that, um, you know, Democrats need to cross over, vote in the Republican primary, and help Tom Rice get elected because he did the right thing when he impeached Donald Trump, who not just peddled fantasy, says some radio show host, but actually incited an insurrection. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But that's the first poll I've seen of any substance. And, and once again, I'm offering my commentary based on my gut. And, and, and I did talk to someone who's very close to that poll and they told me some of the science behind the poll, some of the samplings behind the poll, and th they would argue it's not pushy at all. Eh, I think it's a little bit pushy, not real push. It's not a push poll by any stretch. I mean, it's not intended to inflate someone numbers at the expense of another, but I do think unintentionally it may have inflated, inflated Fry's numbers just a little bit, but we have a front runner. I mean, we have a poll, and we'll have another one this week. We have a front runner in this race, and it's not the incumbent. I mean, it's obvious to me. That's where we are. And um, I hate to say I told you so, but I kind of sort of told you I thought we'd be here. I, I got Russell at somewhere around 35. I got, you know, Rice somewhere around 25. That's a big reach. I mean, if you're at 25, I just don't know how you get to 50 when everybody else is running because you voted to impeach the former president. That's just a... That's a big, big reach as far as I'm concerned. But if those numbers hold, still well, means runoff. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's no question about it. And then who comes back in two weeks uh, to support, you know, uh, what, uh, what appears to be a two-man race between Representative Fry and Congressman Rice. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. I would imagine this congressional race will begin to dominate more and more of our attention, our coverage. We've got, what, five candidates um, five more candidates, uh, actually six more candidates that have not appeared that we've offered an hour um, kind of a, of engagement for each candidate. We know we have some schedule to appear. You got a roster there, Rev, of uh, when they're or an itinerary of when they're to be here? I do. Okay. Uh, Dr. Garrett Barton will be with us tomorrow in the 8 a.m. hour. So we, like you said, we've offered the candidates uh, an hour of time to, to do a deeper, in-depth interview. So Dr. Barton will be with us tomorrow. Scheduled to appear next week, Barbara Arthur, on Tuesday the 7th, 7 a.m. hour. Ken Richardson, Wednesday the 8th, in the 8 a.m. hour. And Congressman Rice 
on Monday the 13th in the 8 a.m. hour. And we've still not heard back from the Fry or McBride campaigns. Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay, we need to reach out more aggressively, Mike, if we can, you know, today maybe reach out again to those two campaigns to make sure we offer up them um, ample opportunities to come over the air and, and um, not, not talk to me, talk to you, talk to you, the listeners. But I do want to kind of pin them down a few, uh, I don't know, a little more extreme on some of these um, some of these issues we've debated at the surface level. want to kind of get in there. But I want to go back to this poll because here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Let, let's, for argument's sake, um, the poll has Fry at 39, um, has Rice at 23, has 18% undecideds. I want to play into the math of why I just see it a, a big reach to get Rice to 50%. Let's, for argument's sake, I mean, I've got him at 25. They've got him at 23. Let's just go with my number, 25, round off. That's halfway to 50, you folks in Paplico. Um, that's what it takes. 50% plus one vote gets you the job. Um, if you don't believe it, it can get real, real close, ask Dr. Oz and, and uh, you know, Mr. McCormick in uh, in Pennsylvania. Is that one settled yet? Uh, well, I mean, there's an automatic recount going okay. on as we speak, but there'll be a certification. Um, Oz ended up about 1,000 votes ahead, not quite 1,000, but it's extremely close with over, what, 1.3 million votes cast. And you're within 1,000 votes of one another. It's very close. It's going to be um, every vote matters. So let's go to this number. Um, let's say that Rice is at 25, and there are, let's say there's 20% undecideds. I mean, that's what I think there are. I think there are 20%, maybe as much as 25% undecideds. Um, the undecideds have not, that, to me, and look, this is speculation on my behalf, the undecideds are not deciding whether to support Rice or not. The undecideds are who are deciding who to support in opposition to Rice. Um, is it Richardson? Is it Arthur? Is it McBride? Is it... Is it Barton? Is it Morris? Is it Fry? To me, that's why I just I think it's a heel too too tall. Um, the the let's say the the let's even say the undecided is one third. I mean, let's say the Trafalgar poll comes out and says one third of all voters are undecided. To me, they're not deciding whether to vote for Rice. That they're deciding whether I think to vote. People for, have already made that decision. Well, I mean, I, don't you to think? me, I just I got I got to believe that's yeah. the case. And um and I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. We can have agendas and issues and priorities and debates and radio show fodder, but at the end of the day, campaigns come down to math. It always has. It always will. Two beats one. 46% beats 45%. Um, 32.2% beats 32.1%. If you don't believe me, ask the voters in Pennsylvania. One-tenth of 1%. Really less than one-tenth of 1%. But, I mean, it's math. It, it always has been. It always will be. And when I look at this data, and it kind of confirms some of what I believed to be reality. And once again, I've, I've gone on the record. I think Fry's numbers are a little bit inflated. And I think some of the um, some of the questioning in the poll, some of the methodology of the poll, um, they would argue they were not to inflate his numbers. I would argue that they weren't intended to, but they probably did anyway. I mean, I'm just a little bit familiar with these polls and, and how they work. So you've got a candidate um, at nearly 40%, and you've got 20% of decideds, um, you know, and, and here's here's the dilemma. And here's where you got to kind of, uh, uh, when you have these hotly contested primaries and you're running against a, an incumbent and there's five of you guys and everybody wants to be the anointed one, everybody wants Trump's endorsement, everybody wants to be in the runoff. Um, let's say hypothetically we go with this poll and we end up in a runoff between Fry and Rice. 
What's going to motivate Barbara Arthur to say I'm for Fry? Or Garrett Barton or Mark McBride or Ken Richardson or Spencer Mars. Um, I mean, they want to be congressmen. They don't want Russell to be congressman. They want to be the congressman. Can you let bygones be bygones? Can we have a, you know, a kind of meeting of the minds and, and agree that we were all in this to replace the incumbent who voted to impeach Donald Trump? That's why you ran. That's why I ran. Um, I know I'm not your favorite person, but I'm on board with the movement you wanted to be a part of. I mean, that's that, that's where it gets complicated, and that's where it gets difficult, and, and some feelings get hurt. Um, you know, who's on the right side of history, who's on the wrong side of history. We shall see how that plays itself out. But that will be an interesting dynamic of this race, watching these um, these six other candidates um, let bygones be bygones and and say, hey, you know, I, I, I really think I deserved it better than you. I think I'm a better candidate than you are. I didn't get the Trump endorsement. Um, you know, can we can we get over some of the hurt feelings that come along with not being in the runoff, but but becoming a little more supportive of the person that did um, get into the runoff. I don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't. We shall see um, as the next two weeks progress. But we've got um, we've got scheduled to appear in the next what nine days. We've got five of these candidates, uh, four of these candidates. We'll get the fifth one nailed down. I'll make sure that I don't have any idea how to get in touch with the McBride campaign. I mean, I, I don't have any idea. I don't think they've responded. I mean, they had a lot of things to say about not being included in the debate. They were publicly very critical yeah, of that and, decision. And, you know, and took to the public airwaves. Maybe they don't want anything some, to do with Well, been, been good for don't them. Know. I mean, let them stay at 5%. It yeah. was, you know, <laughs> let them stay at 5%. But, but I mean, our offer stands. I mean, it, it got, certainly does. Yeah. And I think we got accused of um, deciding who was in the debate or not. And uh, I don't know who did. I know who didn't. And that, that was your truly had nothing uh, to do with that. Hey, I did do something yesterday that I've not done in a good while. I went to a, um, a movie and uh, oh. I was thinking about this, you know, Top Gun is a, is a red state movie. I mean, it really is. Hollywood doesn't make a lot of red state movies. Um, American Sniper in 14 or 15, 2014, five or six or seven years ago when American Sniper came out, enormously popular in some of the red states. Not quite as much in some of the blue states. Top Gun is a, um, I mean, it's it's kind of a, you know, I feel the need for speed. It's it's a bit clichéic. I mean, it really is a throwback to the 80s. I think the original Top Gun was an 85 or 86, somewhere the mid to, to late 80s. Um, and it was it was clichéic then. It's clichéic now. I mean, the girl's leaning on the Porsche. You know, he's on his motorcycle. Everybody's tanned and beautiful and fit and all these other sorts of things, but it is a very patriotic movie. And I thought about it yesterday. My daughter, wife, and I went to the, the movie before we came home from the beach. And um, I, it, it, it's amazing to me how, how yearning we are to be, to feel good about our country. And we just don't get that from the Republicans. We don't get that from the Democrats. We don't get that from the, um, the political orbit, but, but a guy in a jet you know, a fighter pilot, a top gun. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Some of the, um, some of the dissimilarities between this top gun and the other was, um, I mean, the similarity is, um, Tom Cruise who by all accounts is back crap crazy, but he makes a good, um, top gun pilot. I mean, he really does. I think he's, um, immersed in Scientology and, 
Yeah, I mean, he's just been a, a little bit odd. Can we say that? Yeah, we can uh, say that. He's been a bit odd. But he's a good maverick. Uh, he's a great maverick, <laughs> no question about it. And um, and it's got some storylines in here that connect him, obviously, to Goose. Real quick story. Um, my son has a, um, a golden retriever named Goose. And the reason my son's dog is named Goose is the um, his buddy got a dog of the same kind from the litter, uh, and his buddy named him Maverick. Oh, okay. So so he had to name him uh, Goose, you know, go back to, That's cool. to the days of Top Gun. But I found this very interesting. Um, we didn't know what country we were bombing yesterday. You know, we had a um, top secret mission I wish to carry out. And in the uh, in the 80s, it was the Russian MiGs, right? I mean, remember that? I mean, it's the Russians, the Russians, the Russians. I mean, we all were, I mean, you know, this side of the Cold War. And obviously the Russians, I mean, they were kind of an easy target. Everybody would rally around one of the bit to defeat the Russians. We were just going to some foreign land to bomb some um, potential nuclear weaponry. And nobody ever identified what nation we were going That's in. That's very interesting. As well as politically correct. You know, we, we don't want to offend anybody any longer. But it's still a red state movie. And on Memorial Day, when you, I don't know, the, the patriotic juices are flowing and you want to feel good about the country, um, leave it to Maverick. And I don't want to, you know, go see, I'm serious. And I mean yeah, this sincerely. No spoilers because well, I haven't I mean, seen it. I'm not a big fan of sequels. And I'm not a big fan of movies in general. I, I've kind of got my dander up about Hollywood and some of their objectives and some of their um, strategies. But I'll tell you, um, as we say in the country, they did a damn good job of a sequel. It was um, highly entertaining, um, so so intertwined to the original, you know, Top Gun. And if you're a red state American or, or a patriotic soul, it, it, it stirs the, the juices. I mean, it really do does think, something. Do you think somebody in Hollywood actually finally realized that and they decided about releasing this? Because it's been held up, obviously, for a couple of years, right? It's about release. two and a half years. Yeah. yeah, the release has been held for about two and a half years. But they said, you know, America, as far as the movie business goes and having, you know, the biggest $100 million opening weekend, I think it's Tom Cruise's biggest weekend ever. Largest Memorial Day, including Monday, that motion pictures have ever had. But do you think somebody in Hollywood finally said, you know, maybe if we put out a pro-America, feel-good, non-woke movie that business will be okay. That's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I not behind. Yeah, I, I do as well. I mean, why not release it two and a half years ago? I mean, what has happened in the interim that allowed this movie to be fair game now yeah, when COVID, it was not back then? Well, I mean, COVID, yeah. And you're right. I didn't think of that. The restrictions on um, not being able to get gather in, in theaters and whatnot. Um, but it, you know, it, it's Superman don't fly. I get that. And I don't put my faith nor trust in, in a um, in a make believe Top Gun pilot, but but Maverick and Goose and I don't want to give some of the storylines away. Very connected and paid respect to the original Top Gun, but but it's just it amazed me how many how how badly I want to be proud of my country and how I want to exhibit that pride and speak loudly and proudly about the way I feel about about patriotic America. I'm thinking about, you know, um, did I see the American flag very often? Um, what were there, were, was there kind of a balance on, well, let's not be too patriotic. <laughs> you know, some of these people don't care much for this, for this country, and especially on Memorial Day. I mean, we're talking about the U.S. soldier. You know, we're talking about Uvalde, Texas last week and the horrific events of the school shooting. Um, I was thinking about this. We're talking about Americans with guns. There's an article in Huffington Post. There's one in The Guardian. There's two or three others that basically center around, you know, American gun ownership. Let me ask you this. 
I mean, I'm a Christian, so I think Jesus Christ has saved more lives than any, I mean, he's not a human being, but he is a, I mean, he was God in human form. I mean, and here we go down the road, 100% God, 100% man. Um, but who has liberated humankind more than an American with a gun? I mean, stew on that for a second. We'll take our break here, but stew on that for a second. I mean, if you're a Christian, then you believe, you know, a belief in Jesus has saved your soul. Who has saved more souls and kept, you know, death at bay more than Americans with guns? Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Here's George in Orangeburg listening to WTQS this morning. Hello, George. Hey, how's it going this morning? Hey, George, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Uh, yeah, on on the uh, on the gun comments, I agree that uh, nobody's liberated more souls than Americans with a gun. Uh, one of the things I remember. Uh, is a quote from Admiral Yamamoto on invading America. And that quote was, they would be an armed American behind every blade of grass. And a lot of people don't realize that. That was what kept Japan from coming into California. Thank you, George. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. You know, the, the hypocrisy in this, uh, I think I put something on Twitter one day last week about the realities of the Capitol and the White House and school shootings. And I want to make an announcement here this morning. I'm glad I just kind of stumbled on this. Um, I was texting over the weekend with uh, Mike Rickenbaugh, Jay Jordan, and Philip Lowe, who come in on Friday mornings, and we discuss and bandy about state politics. And I want to be somewhat of a conduit and allowing a conversation to take place about school security. Are we doing everything we can? Now, obviously, the city government, the county government, the school district, the school board, the General Assembly. The reason I started at the General Assembly is because we live in a legislatively dominated state, like it or not. Most of you don't like the fact that the General Assembly has so much legislative or governmental horsepower, but they do. So when I, when I kind of start thinking about an idea I have, the first place I go is to the General Assembly because we live in a state where the General Assembly has so much political power and influence. I want to reach out this week to the school district, to city and county government. Um, but I want to convince, um, I want you, our listeners, uh, many of which are parents of kids in public schools, I want you to understand what sort of team is in place, what sort of priorities uh, are I mean, I want to talk to the sheriff's department, the city police department, um, and I'm not talking about sound bites. I mean, I want to make sure, because I believe personally that fortifying or hardening some of these soft targets is something that we can do immediately. We can't change the heart of a human in a second. I can't do that. You can't do that. That is an evolution. I mean, there's evil, that there, there, there's moral um, depravity, that there is mental illness. I mean, I can't address that in a meaningful fashion over the airwaves, but we can when it comes to hardening and fortifying some of these soft targets. And that's what I want to be a part of. So Friday, maybe between now and Friday, we um, we, we try to invite a representative of the school district, maybe a school board member, but uh, but Mike, Jay, and Philip have agreed that this something this is something we have to prioritize. Let's make sure 
that we're not leaving any stone unturned when it comes to you dropping your kid off at school and not having to be concerned about the potential violence. I mean, nothing is perfect. I mean, I'd love to say this will never happen again, but it probably will. I mean, it's less likely that your kid gets killed in a school than it is they get struck by lightning or die in a commercial aircraft. I mean, the Democrats will convince you that mass shootings are, you know, they're, they're, they're far more frequent than they are. It's, it's horrible. It's horrific. It's tragic. It, it's, it's, it's heart, it's gut wrenching. I mean, not, you know, and, and when I say it's not as, it's far more random than you believe it is. I mean, the media and the Democrats will try to convince you that this is happening at too high a frequency. Well, one's too many. I mean, innocent kids dying in a school, uh, one is too many. And that should be our goal and objective is to make sure it never happens again. But I think if you're honest with yourself, it's happened before and it will probably happen again. But what are we doing in Sumter, Orangeburg, and Florence to make sure the likelihood of this happening is slim to none? And I think you deserve to know that. And I think these elected officials um, have an obligation and a responsibility to let our listeners and parents know um, what is in place to make sure these sorts of things never happen again. Can the General Assembly adopt legislation that hardens and fortifies these school campuses in a way that the other 49 states are not? I mean, we talk about states' rights a lot. We talk about don't depend on the federal government. Um, what, What are we doing and what can we do, once again, to fortify and harden the soft targets that our schools and their campuses? Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Tuesdays to make Fridays. Yesterday uh, Memorial Day. Want to? I don't know if it's, it just doesn't sound right to say Happy Memorial Day because it is a somber, serious day. Thank you is the most appropriate words I can come up. Obviously, the people who um, died as a result of serving this country can't hear me, but to the families who have lost loved ones in the line of duty in the name of defending liberties and freedoms. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. However, I mean, it's a day belated, but as sincere as um, Wake Up Carolina could uh, proclaim those words. Thank you. Let's go to the phone. George in Florence. Good morning, George. Good morning. Ken, you know, you, you're talking about hardening schools and all that, and you can harden the building all you want to. But the problem is that if people don't follow the rules of that hardening, it doesn't matter whatsoever. You don't hear much at all about the teacher who opened or unlocked the door in Uvalde, but you hear a lot about the cops. Had that door been closed and locked, we, we don't know. It probably would have been a different outcome, and I'll hang up from here. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. I, I mean, I think, to, to me, Uvalde, and I want to be careful here because um, people lost kids. People's lives will never, ever be the same. There is nothing you can say. There is nothing I can say to extinguish the heartache the pain, the anguish, the suffering that goes into um, that reality. My father lost a daughter. I lost a sister at 29 years old. It is heart-wrenching. It, it is, I mean, it just, it sucks the life out of you. So I want to do this with all due respect to those parents and families who are grieving and trying to make heads or tails of what happened. But to me, Rev, there's a story here um, about the Second Amendment. Don't trust the government. I mean, I saw a, um, an interview on CNN where a Texas lieutenant said, um, you know, we delayed because the police officers could have been shot. I'm sorry, that's your job. I mean, when, when there's an active shooter inside a classroom, inside a school, your job is to not wait or delay. You've got to go. 
I mean, you've got to go that moment. And they weren't just not uh, deploying their resources. They were discouraging some of the families, some of the parents who got there with a gun. I don't know if you saw this story or not. There, there's a guy, former military, getting his hair cut. And his wife's a teacher at the school, and she sent him a text, um, active shooter, help, I love you. He jumps up, grabs the gun from the person who owns the hair salon, makes his way to the school, and, and runs into resistance there. Um, not only did the government, and, and, and you know, th- there's a lot of questions we don't have answers to, and I want to be careful about not, um, you know, convicting. Uh, you're innocent to proven guilty, but it looks to me like, and it looks to many others like, um, law enforcement just simply dropped the ball. I mean, had a, and not just dropped the ball, misled to begin with, you know, gave the, uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor and some of the um, legislative delegation gave them a representation of fact that proved to be just totally inaccurate. So, so I think that, you know, that there's a lot of moral of this story that says, you know, um, a teacher left the door ajar or, or left the door cracked. I mean, from what I understand, a rock, you know, you put a pebble in the way of a door and it doesn't lock, doesn't um, secure itself. Um, and then you've got law enforcement that for whatever reason, I mean, I, I would imagine they'll explain at some point in time, um, but, and I'm not talking about the rank and file police officer. From what I understand, the police officers wanted to go, but they were told to stand down. So you've got an active shooter in a school and you've got a, a lieutenant or someone in command of that situation who's telling the law enforcement agency to not go in the building. How? I mean, it, 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 it's another episode of government failure, another episode of not trusting, or excuse me, not depending on the government to keep you safe. And I just think, um, I've always said the one thing that we need to implement in government is a bureaucratic accountability act, because all these people work for the government. Um, it goes back to COVID. I mean, I, I'm trying to draw a, a weird parallel here, but, you know, in COVID, how many public sector employees missed a paycheck? I mean, how many of their lives got disrupted? I mean, the private sector is... is kind of a sinking or swimming with profit. You do the best you can to run your restaurant, to run your gym, to run your, your hair salon. Um, if you don't, you know, cut hair, you don't make any money. If people don't come work out at your gym, you don't make any money. If people don't come, um, you know, eat at your restaurants, you don't make any money. But the public sector just lives by a different set of rules and a, and a different set of standards. And, and we've got to get the public sector to a place where it is held accountable to genuine metrics and measures of success and failure. And, and, you know, we just see these things happen over and over and over again. And our elected officials believe the reason we fail is they're underfunded, didn't have enough money. Uh, you know, that's always the answer. We need more money to secure these schools, do we? Says who? I mean, I'm all for hardening the soft targets. I've said it before. I believe that the biggest contributor to violence in America today is evil, moral depravity, and mental illness. I really and truly believe that. I've read enough to try and understand that. But those are evolutions. Those don't happen. We don't. You don't fix mental illness today or tomorrow. You don't fix moral depravity today or tomorrow. You don't fix evil today or tomorrow. You deal with that perpetually. I mean, that's here forever. And we'll always try to devise plans that address that. But we can harden some of these soft targets. I mean, there are ways we can dedicate resources or demand of certain people performance in their job, or we'll find somebody else to do it. And that just seems to not be the case in the public sector. When, when the public sector fails, there's always an excuse. When the private sector fails, you know what happens? A business isn't there any longer. Someone finds another job to do, and we've got to get to a place. Damn it. 
uh, uh, metrics and measures uh, applying themselves to the public sector. And for whatever reason, we, we just we don't do it. We don't demand that. Uh, a, a Texas police lieutenant said on CNN, we were standing down because the, the officers could have gotten shot. Mm. Wow. Wow. Let's go to the phone. Here's Steve in Florence. Good morning, Steve. Hey, morning, guys. I was doing some, like, napkin mask and metal detectors about three grand, give or take. So you put two in each school, you round up to four grand. Every school in America, a little over a billion dollars. We spend that, like, in 30 seconds in this country. That billion dollars to the government's nothing. A lot to me, but nothing to them. And they want to protect the kids. I don't see why we can't have at least two metal detectors per school. Um, maybe some sort of security, armed security at the door and hang out, watch our kids. If that's so important, no law is going to you know, could have stopped this. I've seen a lot of crap about, you know, California laws could have prevented this. No, they couldn't. Those criminals don't follow laws. This kid was a deranged little psychopath and killed his grandma. I mean, I don't know who killed his grandma, but that kid did. So, at least metal detectors. Is it perfect? No, but we can start somewhere. The new era that we live in, is it sad? Yeah. Um, parents be allowed to beat their kids at the store when they're acting up? Yeah. But we can't do that no more, so we got to do this. That's all I got. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. I mean, think about this, U.S. Capitol and the White House. I mean, hold those on. I mean, just think about it. Uh, there, there are barricades, there are fences, there are metal detectors, there are um, security surveillance systems, there are dedicated points of egress and ingress, there are, mind you, men with guns. I mean, if, if we, I mean, to, to, to not, and, and this is a question I told Rev during the break, I'd love to know from our listeners who are parents of kids at Sumter, Orangeburg, or Florence Public Schools, what are you comfortable with? I mean, you don't want to carry your kid to a, um, uh, I mean, to, to a place that looks like a prison or that looks like a fortified, I mean, I don't, you know, Fort Jackson. But, I mean, is that what we're coming to? Is that, is that we have an obligation to keep these kids safe? What are we doing to keep these kids safe? Why do we have fences and barricades at the Capitol and the White House and not at schools? Why do we have metal detectors at the Capitol and the White House and not at schools? Why do we have men with guns at the Capitol and the White House and not at schools? Why do we have dedicated points of ingress and egress or egress and ingress? At, um, at the White House and Capitol. I mean, it's the height of hypocrisy as far as I'm concerned. You know why we have all these? Because senators and Congress members want to be safe. And people who work at the White House want to be safe. Safe from who? People who may uh, commit acts of violence against them. And, we, and we're not going to give the kid, the student, the family of that student the same priority? Really? I mean, we're going to send $40 billion to Ukraine um, in the name of global security, but we're not going to dedicate nor allow or, or create allowances for school security. I, I just think that's something we can, and I'm not saying that's the answer. Please understand, I'm not saying uh, hardening the soft target stops this from ever happening again. I, I believe evil's here forever. I think moral depravity's here forever. I think mental illness is here forever. We're, we're always trying to explain these things after the fact. But the one thing we can do is harden these soft targets and fortify these soft targets. And that's the conversation that I hope Wake Up Carolina can be a part of 
as we progress to a place of you carrying your kid to school at the beginning of the 2022-23 school year, not as concerned. We're always going to be concerned about our kids. I mean, that's natural. You, you, you worried about yours. I'm worried about mine. I mean, I got one 31 years old, and I'm still nervous. I mean, I got one, you know, 18, and I'm scared to death when they don't call me or text me when they say they, they are, because I just think it's, it's a very violent world out there. We've desensitized um, violence. I mean, you know, somebody talked last week about video games and Hollywood and, you know, the, um, I don't know, we were watching Top Gun yesterday and three of the, um, three of the trailers marketing a movie that comes out later this summer were about just blowing people's heads off and killing people and just random violence. And, and we don't believe that contributes, but I can't stop Hollywood from doing that. I can't stop your kid or my kid from playing a video game. I can't stop people from uh, committing acts of violence or, or evil or moral depravity. I mean, I can't cure mental illness, but we can damn sure fortify these soft targets. We can do that. I mean, we can get we can get law enforcement, the school district, and our General Assembly together, and we can devise a plan and fund a plan. Now, how comfortable are you with it? I don't know. I mean, do we want razor wire on fences around schools? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, tell me what you're comfortable with as a parent sending a kid to District 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Sumter County, Orange. I don't know. What are you comfortable with? I know what I'm not comfortable with. Hearing over the radio, there's a school shooting, and I know my kid's there. So, so you know, is metal detectors the answer? Don't know. Is men with guns the answer? Don't know. Is dedicated points of egress and ingress the answer? Don't know. Um, High-tech video surveillance security systems? Don't know. Why do they have all of those at the Capitol? Why do they have all of those at the White House to keep people safe and secure? So we're going to do that for members of Congress and employees at the White House, but not in schools all over the country? Come on. Let's go to the phone. Here's David in Florence. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. How you doing? You hope you had a good uh, Memorial Day weekend. Hey, David. How are you? Good, good. Uh, yeah, this is a this topic has been thrown around a great day, man. Ever since Columbine, you know, and uh, I mean uh, the uh, the things that took place at Columbine just absolutely broke my heart. But uh, we spend all this money, you know, like you just said, Ken, on on protecting our our leaders per se, uh, if that's what you want to call some of them, but. Uh, I, don't they realize that the leaders of the future are in our schools right now and they do nothing, absolutely nothing, and on the on the, the grand scheme of things to protect them. Uh, you know, I hear parents say, well, I don't want my kids around guns. I won't, don't want them to be exposed to this and that. And, you know, well, you know, I'm sorry. I don't want mine uh, that, uh, exposed to all that either, but I also don't want some psycho to walk to walk in and and take advantage of a situation uh, to where he knows he's not going to be shot back at, uh, just like the the guy that shot up the the Batman theater, you know, years ago. He traveled how many miles to get to a soft target before he uh, before he went in there and did his did his stuff. But uh, if you want to, I mean, why can't we have something as simple as the security at the, uh, any federal building or even our city county complex. I mean, man, they do everybody, everything but a cavity search if you go into a federal building uh, to make sure you're not getting something in there you shouldn't. Well, I mean, are they more important than our children? 
I, I know they're not. Uh, they're not any more important than our children. I, I would dare say that they're not as important as our children because our children are our future. And, uh, you know, I mean, holy cow, man. Uh, they, every opportunity they get, they blame the gun, they blame the gun, they blame the gun, they blame the firearm. And uh, last time I checked, last time I looked at my closet, none of my guns had gotten up and walked away and committed a crime. So, you know, it's not the firearm. It's just like uh, the issue in Virginia, I believe it was, where the where the lady pulled out a firearm, stopped a guy that was fixing to, to murder a whole handful of people because he was told to slow down because there were children in the neighborhood, went home, got a weapon, came back, started to do his thing as far as hurting people, and she pulled out a firearm, she stopped it. Well, bravo, hooray for her. And, you know, I don't want to see anyone killed or murdered or, or, or shot, you know, in, in self-defense, but, you know, uh, holy cow, man, it's, a, it's, it's just crazy. And the priorities of this country are just so far out of whack when it comes to a topic like this. I mean, it's, it's just nuts, man. But uh, you guys have a good week. Appreciate you, Ken, Dave, and uh, we'll keep on listening. Thank you. Appreciate Thank that. You, Thank sir. you very much. Well explained. And the point I'm trying to make is, as, as much as I wish there were a pill that would cure evil, there's not. As much as I wish there were a shot that would cure moral depravity, there's not. We're going to have to deal with that. Um, you know, mental illness. I think we can do a lot better with mental illness than we do. People don't choose to be mentally ill. I mean, evil, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand the, the nature of it. I believe, I mean, God says there is evil. I mean, th th there is, there's evil in this world. There's always been evil in this world. There will always be evil in this world. If you're not someone who's evil, it's hard to understand. Um, you know, how in the world, what, what, what happens to an 18 year old? Let's study here for a second together. What happens to an 18 year old that convinces them it's okay to walk into a school and mow down, you know, kids, I mean, innocent kids. I mean, what, you know, is that moral depravity? Is that evil? Is that mental illness? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a debate to be had about that. But, but if, we, if we understand there's evil in the world, there's moral depravity in the world, and there's mental illness in the world, and, and for whatever reason, um, at certain times these people perpetrate act of violence in schools, then let's do something we know we can do. Let's fortify. Can we stop an evil person from killing a kid on a, on a school campus that looks like Fort Knox? I don't know. I don't have any idea. You know, someone said over the weekend, well, that, you know, someone could just sit in the woods and, and shoot kids on the playground. Yeah. I mean, it, as long as there's evil in the world, as long as there's moral depravity in the world, as long as there's mental illness in the world, we can do But the one thing we can do, it's a definable task. We can harden these soft targets. Chuck Schumer said the answer from the Republicans um, to gun violence in schools is more guns in schools. Count me amongst one who believes the more people armed on the campus of a school district, the less likely someone is to kill 18 or 19 kids. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm on board there. I agree. And if I, if I had to endorse legislation or sponsor legislation or advocate for legislation that instead of having one school resource source officer, we had four or five, absolutely. I mean, there's not an expense too great. 
I hear this all the time. Do you know how much that would cost? Guys, we just sent $40 billion to Ukraine. $40 billion to Ukraine. That's more than all the other European countries together, the neighboring European countries together, in the name of global security. How about hometown security? How about the federal government allocating X number of dollars to um, state legislations and the legislature working with school boards and local governments? And let's make as a priority fortifying these soft targets. We'll never stop evil. We'll never stop these other, but we can make it more difficult by securing and, and hardening. I mean, I'm being redundant here, but I, you know, what, what level of hardening or are you accepted? Do you find acceptable? I mean, as a parent of a kid, when you carry that kid to school, are you okay with razor wire, metal detectors, you know, somebody standing guard with an AR-15? I mean, I can't answer that. We can collectively, but, but, but I, you know, we've got to agree that soft targets are vulnerable and maybe just maybe one school resource officer is not enough. Let's deploy some of these assets at varying places around the school district. If we've got 40 billion bucks to send to Ukraine, we've got enough money to do a better job of hardening these soft targets. Let's go to the phone. I'm Here. sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're behind, uh, right? Oh, yep. Yeah, we need look, to take a break. We're a good bit behind. So hang in there, caller, because I certainly want to hear what you have to say, but we got to pay some bills back in a minute. 843 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Here's Linda and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, everyone. And yes, Memorial Day was a beautiful day, I think, in most of South Carolina. But as we were talking about the school shooting, um, my husband used to always say it was theater. And it turned out, I think we're going to find out a lot of this is just theater. There's the money might be going into the school system, but the money's not being used where it should be used. And I think maybe we're going to discover that everybody fell down on their jobs because most of these schools now have safety connection where you press a button, you have to wait until that door opens. So why was their door left a crack? Where was the security guard or the resource officer? Where was he? And I love that um, motto from, oh gosh, I can't remember the gun manufacturer, but when seconds count, police are minutes away. There should have been a school where that someone else should have had a gun. Someone else should have been trained to do, do facets of things. But I think a lot of this is theater, and that's why this happened, what happened. Money's going in, and no one is doing their job. Thank and, you, Linda. Appreciate and, that. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing that I've always tried to say, and I mean, whether it's a school, I mean, school shootings are the most dramatic example of what we're talking about here. Now we're doing a bit of a postmortem, and we're finding out that um, that law enforcement misled some of the elected officials who hold them accountable or there to hold them accountable. I've just always advocated for a bureaucratic accountability act. I mean, I understand you can't run government like a business. I accept that. I mean, you know, my brother and I could close the door in his office or my office, and we could fundamentally change the direction of our truck body manufacturing business um, in a nanosecond. We didn't have to have an executive uh, panel or committee or a vote or anything. So I accept that government by its nature is inefficient. I wish it weren't, but it is. Um, Self-government is um, tedious. 
It, it's it's very complicated. It's very difficult. It's very constraining at times. But at some point in time, people who are paid to do a job have to be held accountable for not doing the job. And it doesn't seem to me in government we do a very good job of that. The question I'm posing to our listeners, what are you comfortable with? I mean, you've got a 7-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 10-year-old. You drop that kid off at a school. Do you want that kid walking by a guard shack through a metal detector, um, chain lick fence with barbed wire at the top, um, through a hallway with uh, somebody in Army fatigues, you know, carrying an M16? Uh, I'm not talking about a Black Hawk helicopter circling the, the perimeter. Okay, let's go there. Um, a Black Hawk helicopter circling the perimeter. I think we all agree that's too extreme, but what can we do? And I know I'm being redundant, but I think it's, we got to repeat this. Um, Rev, do you have the cure for mental illness? No, of course Moral not. depravity? Nope. Evil? Of course not. Do you believe all three of those are contributors to what happened in Uvalde or Columbine or Sandy Hook? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And and we need to aggressively address those issues in America. And I think mental illness is something that we can, uh, and we've done a lousy job of committing assets and resources to dealing with with our mentally ill, our, our depressed, our, I mean, there, there's a lot of variation to mental illness, um, but, but I think we've done a lousy job of addressing those realities in society. Um, but the one thing we can do is fortify, harden these soft targets. To what extreme and to what extent are we willing to go? What is the dollar figure? I mean, you know, the government, the federal government has an infinite amount of money. Um, they, they digitally create fiat currency out of thin air. Um, so there is no price that, that, you know, strikes fear to the hearts of, in other words, a business says, man, I really need a new fleet of trucks, but I can only get half a fleet of trucks because I have only so much money and my revenue only allows me to be able to pay back this amount of debt. The federal government's a different animal. I mean, it one day we'll pay for that, um, irresponsibility, but you know, that'll be down the road at some point in time. But what are you as a parent comfortable with? Um, what? What should you demand of the school district? And I'm not pointing fingers at law enforcement or the the school board or the superintendent or the the state delegation, but I think we have an opportunity at Wake Up Carolina to offer a conduit or a a forum of which we can address. And on the record, I text with all three members of the General Assembly who come to the show on Fridays. There are more. I mean, they're Democrats. They're Republicans. No kid's life matters in another. But these are three I'm most familiar with. They're all friends of mine. They've all agreed that, that we must consider other things that we've not considered uh, today. But, you know, what, what if we implement all of these programs? What if, we, what, what if we commit resources to harden these soft targets and they're just not implemented? They're, they're not executed. Somebody doesn't do their job. We've got to get public sector employees being held accountable to the same metrics as those in the private. Let's go to the phone. Here's Barry in Chiraw. Good morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, uh, I'll answer your question first. Uh, I think we need to fortify more. Um, the, the locked doors are great. The camera's on the front. Uh, we need to go more technology, AI, as far as uh, hallways monitored by outside agency. You know, if the, if the school district wants to hire the agency to buy it or if it goes over to the sheriff's department, we make a joint operations center for the sheriff's department for all counties county schools they monitor the hallways they monitor they have ai that identifies um students uh social media 
this school actually had AI. Uh, the school district actually had AI and did not pick up on the kid uh, buying the guns before, you know, on his birthday. It should have set it off. But, you know, there's a lot of questions, Ken, I wanted to address with, with this uh, shooting. The door was left open, okay, with a rock. They had automatic lock doors. They they did not storm it. So I, I got a lot of questions here towards, you know where I'm going, Ken. You know where I'm going. I'm going down that conspiracy hole again because it just does not make sense, Ken, that 19 officers were stacked in a hallway and did not go in. That just, I, for the life of me, I don't know anybody in law enforcement in South Carolina or anywhere that would have done would have stood there. So, I mean, can you go down sometime during the day, go down the timeline for the listeners? I know the timeline, but I just don't want to get something wrong. If you can just point out the mistakes that were made during this time. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, the mistake was made. I mean, but when Barry says, I can't imagine, or I can't, yeah, I mean, People put rocks in front of doors. I mean, I can remember the day you didn't want to walk all the way around the building. Um, I'll give you an example. Okay, let's ask this question. What does a bulletproof door cost? What is an automatic lockdown system on a door? You, you know how when the, when the warden says everybody's in their cell and the doors lock? I mean, what does something like that cost in, in a school? I mean, I don't have any idea. What, what does a bulletproof door cost that, that locks instantaneously? In other words, if we've got a breach... And there's a there's an active shooter in the building. Is there some sort of system we can deploy that locks that bulletproof door in place instantaneously? I don't know. I'm asking a question. I mean, these are things. These are these are debates we need to have. Um, and once again, I wish there was something we could do about evil and moral depravity and 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 and, and mentally. I, I just that that's an evolution, guys. I mean, that's that's a condition of the heart, the mind, the body, the soul. I mean, that gets you know, uber complicated, and we'll have a hundred different people with a hundred different opinions, but how much does it cost? I mean, if you're in a classroom, Rev, and you're a teacher, and something happens, and you're notified there's an active shooter, and you can press a button, or somebody in a in a, in a central location can press a button, I'm sorry, mash a button, and, uh, and that button deploys some sort of security system, and a bulletproof door is locked down. I mean, is that the sort of school we want to live in? I mean, I, no, it's not the sort of school we want to live in. I mean, I wish it was the 50s and you could sleep in your bed at night with the windows open. But we can't do that anymore. I mean, there's a new reality in the world. Um, now, in, in fairness, and, and this is where you get a little bit, I mean, you sound like you're, you're not being respectful enough. This is incredibly rare. When the Democrats say we've had multiple, you know, um, uh, mass shootings and mass uh serial killer no we, we don't have much of that uh the the odds of your child being killed in a school are less than the odds of your child being struck by lightning or, or dying of a, in a commercial aircraft but it's still real and it happens and if we've got 40 billion dollars to send to ukraine certainly we can fortify some of these campuses now barry's talking about the timeline they're still working some of that out. I mean, there, there's a couple or three stories out there about what happened. We know for a fact that the commanding officer told the law enforcement officers there to stand down, to not enter the building. They were in the building, but not 
confront the shooter. We know that now. In fact, CNN has an interview of a lieutenant who said, you know, the police officers could have been shot. Okay. Yes, they could have. Or 19 children could be slaughtered in a classroom. Um, not only did law enforcement command, discourage, or excuse me, tell the officers to stand down, they impeded the progress of parents. There were multiple parents there with guns that, that saw that law enforcement was not actively engaging. They wanted to storm the building, and they were. I mean, there's a couple of reports about handcuffs. Uh, that can't be substantiated, corroborated. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, we need to know exactly what happened, and human error is going to be a part of this. I mean, it's always going to be a part of the, you know, the, the heat of the moment. What did you do? What didn't you do? What should you have done? I'm talking about things we know would be helpful. And I'm just throwing that out as something I've thought about over the weekend. What if we had some sort of system that locked all the doors and the doors were, were bulletproof? Um, you, you've got 20 kids in a classroom. You've got a door that's locked. I mean, we're talking about barricades and, and fencing and all these other sorts of things. What about a second exit out of the room? I mean, what, what if there was a um, kind of another port of egress? Ingress? I mean, th these are things we got to th I'm not saying these are the answers. But these are the, the sorts of things that we've got to think about when we build a school, when we, um, when we retrofit or modernize a school. Let's think about safety. I am first and foremost most interested in having multiple people on campus armed. I'm sorry. When Schumer says, so, so the Republicans believe the answer to gun violence in schools is to have more guns on campus? Yes, absolutely the, the special resource officer was never uh supposed to be a security officer i mean he really and truly rev in the good old days when you and i were students it was to break up fights you know and when somebody bought mm -hmm. a bag of weed i mean he was kind of the prosecuting officer he was the point of um of contact that you went hey we got this kid got a bag of weed oh we yearn for the days when the biggest problem we had was a bag of weed. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making light. I'm not being flippant. Please understand, we've got an issue in this country, and we've got we've got kids that are that are you know acting upon whatever it is that that compels them to do this. Is it Hollywood? Is it video games? Is it isolation? Is it depression? Is it antidepressants? Is it psychotropic drugs? Yeah, I mean, I think all of those things contribute. And but but I don't know the answer to those. I mean, what do we do? Not write psychot psychotic medicines anymore, medications anymore. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, the gun lobby spent sixteen million dollars lobbying the government. Big Pharma spent six two hundred sixty three million dollars lobbying the government. I mean, why do you think we get so many psychotropic? I mean, there are nearly fifty million people in America today taking a prescribed psychotropic medication. I mean, do we believe everybody needs to, to be taken? I mean, I don't know. I mean, these are these are situations that we must ask questions about. Um, the gun lobby, isn't that what Biden said? Well, the gun lobby spent $16 million lobbying the federal government. Big Pharma spent $263 million making sure we're writing prescriptions like we never have before. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. couple of callers. Here's David in Florence. Hello, David. Hey, good morning. Morning, sir. How are uh, you? You know, pretty good. Um, you know, after 
Um, one, one thing that they did was they put air marshals in every, every plane. Every plane that takes off has an air marshal. And um, he's, uh, he's plain clothes, but he's, um, he's armed. Everybody knows it. And, um, you know, you just don't even think about it anymore. But I guarantee you if somebody, uh, you know, uh, caused some trouble, you would see him. And it, so if they can do that with every plane that takes off, why couldn't they, they have two or three on every school? And, uh, you know, I, I think that would, that would go a long ways in, you know, in helping. But uh, one thing we got to uh, put in perspective, and you kind of st- uh, stole my thunder a while ago about the, talking about the odds, because I, cause I, I did some research on it, and, and um, the numbers, uh, you know, they don't lie. Uh, you know, w- one in 700,000, your chance of getting struck by lightning is one in 700,000. Uh, of dying in a plane crash is one in 5.3 million. And the chances of a child getting killed uh, uh, by a mass shooter or, or getting shot in school, killed in school, is one in 5.7 million. We, I think we had 40, 40 children uh, die from gunshots in schools last year, and we had 63 million going to school. So that's one thing we've got to keep in mind because the politicians and the media, they'll jump all over this. That's all you hear about. Because it's so rare, just like with a plane crash, when it happens, you hear about it. But I think they'll jump all over this and try to try to uh, take our guns away. That's all I got. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, but think of this. The reason we have very few plane crashes is a safely implementation that we've got in commercial aviation. I mean, we have we have gotten better and better and better. And as a result, you're safer and safer and safer you know, I don't care how rare it is, because it is very, very rare that a commercial aircraft crash. It's very, very rare that a kid gets shot in a school, but it happens, and it's heartbreaking. And and we need to do everything we can to lessen the likelihood that someone dies in a commercial aircraft, as we need to do everything in our power to make sure it's less likely that a kid dies in a school district, doesn't matter where it is. And, and I think, the, you know, the human element's a part of this, a human being decided to put a rock under a door. A human being who's a school resource officer decided to be gone from the campus. There's got to be some accountability within the public sector. I think that's that's that must happen uh, when it comes to this. Now, we've got legislative advancements. You, you know, we got some some blue states that will uh, won't strict their background checks and the, 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 the you know, the banning of assault rep- weapons. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm up for all that being a part of the debate. The point I'm trying to make, Rev, is to me, and someone texted me a second ago who's involved in law enforcement and says that, you know, in some of the real new school districts and the real, you know, the new school buildings, there are bullet resistance. I mean, that was his word, bullet resistance, uh, resistant doors that can be locked uh, instantaneously. That that just sounds like uh, a smart thing to do. Uh, but but once again, I'm not saying there's a silver. Uh, this is a terrible, terrible. There, there's not a magic wand. There is no one thing we can do, uh, whether you're Democrat or Republican. And I want to say this with clarity. I think blue state voters' hearts break and red state harders, uh, voters' heart breaks when kids die in schools. I mean, I don't think that's something that red state America cares more about than blue state America. I think there are differences. I think there are very strong opinions about what to do. The, the blue state voter would probably want uh, more aggressive legislation 
toward the Second Amendment. The red state voter would probably want more uh, what I call the mayor of Realville sort of, um, you know, uh, funding and implementation of, of security measures on schools. But but I think everybody's got to have a say in this. I mean, let's have a let's have a, a frank, honest, candid conversation because ultimately you want kids safe at school. I want kids safe at school. How long do we have? Got about uh, fifteen seconds. I'm sorry. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Uh, Representative Philip Lowe introduced a bill that was uh, if a teacher could volunteer to get their concealed weapons permit. Um, there were certain requirements and stipulations. Obviously, a competency um, level would have to be reached. Um, let me ask you this. Is that more in line with what you believe, Rev, or would you rather see an added security ingredient that doesn't include a teacher with a gun? Hmm. In other words, a dedicated police personnel or former military personnel um, on the campus 24, not 24-7, but when the kids are in school, um, I, give me your opinion of that as opposed or in contrast to a teacher being able to carry. I might be okay with both. I okay. mean, is bo- both an option? Sure, sure. So a teacher who, who wants to be uh, trained and permitted and carry and is comfortable with that. And demonstrate some level of competency. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, then that would be okay. And uh, then also having a an officer that is there for that, that how, specific purpose. How ambiguous can some level of competency be? I mean, it's got to be fairly definable, right? I mean, we got to know that they're competent. We can't say, I ain't competent enough, you know, carry that gun or keep that gun. Um, how do we keep the gun away from the students? I mean, there are a lot of things right. here we've Those got to work have through. To be answered. Um, see, I would be for adding a, a pay raise. I mean, I, I really would. I think you get a, now, now once again, there, there's a certain standard. There's a certain competency standard that you're going to have to reach. You can't just decide that I'm going to get my CWP, put my gun in my desk drawer, and um, and you let some son of a gun try to do something to me or my kids. I mean, it's got to be much more complicated and entailed than that. I would be for um, both. I would be for adding um, one or two non-SRO officers. I'm talking about full-fledged military personnel armed, equipped, and trained in, in these sorts of active shooter engagements, um, ready, willing, and able to do whatever they needed to do to protect those kids. Um, yeah, there's a playbook, but as the great philosopher Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth, but, but understands that these things don't always work out as we expect them to, um, ready, able, and willing. I would be for funding a, a more aggressive armed uh, personnel on that school campus as well as um, incentivizing, compensating um, the teacher to go do the work necessary to demonstrate a, here we go with the word, you ready? A high level of competency with a firearm. I mean, it's not like, well, I shot at that target and hit one of five, five, and that's all they said I needed to do. No, uh, we're going to pay you. I mean, we're going to pay you to be a teacher, but we're going to add a level of pay or compensation to your contract because you've agreed to be somewhat of a security element within that campus. Once again, guys, this is not the only answer. I mean, this is multifaceted. This is going to be layer on top of layer on top of layer. But but as I said earlier, and I'll say again, I can't fix mental illness. I can't fix moral depravity. I can't fix evil. But we can fortify or harden some of these soft targets by 
putting guns in the hands of people who have no interest in hurting the kid only to protect those students and everybody else on that campus environment. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning, Breeze. You know, both parties use these things to politicize it. You know, you'll see the Republicans saying, everybody needs to give me some more money because those crazy Democrats, they're going to try to take away all their guns. And, of course, that's their plan. Their plan is to um, basically end the Second Amendment, maybe give you a twenty two rifle and a double-barrel shotgun or something. So everybody knows that. Then, of course, the Democrats say, you need to give us a bunch of money because these Republic- Republicans want to give everybody a bazooka and everything else. But back to that, you and I talked about this, and what I and I agree with you. But I, I really think that what you need to do is you take a person in college, and this may take a little time to implement. But you take a kid to college, and he'll have and he'll get a teaching certificate, and maybe have a minor in criminal justice, whatever. Then he goes gets hired by a district to be a teacher, and then with a sheriff's department, and because of an elite position. And then he goes to the police academy, becomes uh, a certified uh, policeman, plus he's a certified teacher. And then he can wear his uniform to school. And then in the summertime, he would be getting training in tactical situations like uh, active shooter situations, hostage situations. Everything involved was protecting students at the school. But at the same time, instead of having one SRO officer, you may, depending on the size of the school, you may have three other policemen or women, provided they're all trained equally, wearing a uniform with their gun in a holster. They've been trained to retain that gun, and the holsters have a retainer on them anyway. And they also need to have an arsenal where where the guys can have AR-15s and scope rifles, where in case they really do have a situation where they have to confront somebody with more firepower. Another thing that you can do right now is every deputy sheriff, every city policeman, whatever they are going to do paperwork or whatever they're going to sit there and have a talk with their buddies, everybody can't work to it the whole time, pull it to a school and do your paperwork. Pull it to a school and have a talk with your buddy from the sheriff's department if you were the highway patrol Pull over there in the school and be seen around the schools. Heck, I wouldn't even have a problem if they could tolerate the food. Having them come and say, any police officer who wants a free lunch can get it at any of our local schools. Hell, they feed the whole world for free anyway. May as well feed the policemen. You know, anything to give officers more reason to be on a school campus. But I think what you know about the idea of maybe having a, a higher pay, but see a CW, concealed weapons permit, it, you know, that, that's no traded kid. That's no traded at all. They need to go to a police academy and be trained for professionals, and it needs to be elite, an elite position. Well, you're talking about special uh, forces of teachers. You're talking about like Green Berets or Army Rangers no, or Navy SEALs. A teacher, no, I'm talking about a, 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 a sheriff's deputy or city policeman that is uh, going to be in their uniform. They're going to be wearing, they'll have the tactical gear. It'd be like almost like a guy be similar to a squat a SWAT team kind of guy. They'll have special training, but at the same time, it's all yeah. You could call it Green Berets because a lot of times the Green Berets have the special military training, but also they have the training to go into these communities and win the heart and souls of the, of the community. So you'll have these policemen that they're winning the hearts and souls of the students, providing more discipline of of a more father type. Uh, uh, 
role model to where all policemen aren't out there to shoot you and kill you. They'll, they, they can give their cards to the students, say, hey, if you've got a problem, you call me, buddy. And then when they graduate and they see this student at the, at the food line, hey, Bob, how's it going, man? How's your job? How's this? You'll have a relationship with somebody at the police department. I think it'd be a win-win-win, you know, for the police departments, and it'd be a, a win-win-win for the students. And now most of these, uh, nearly all of these people are cowards to go to these places. If they know that there's four or five deputies there with 40 or 50 rounds of Block 40, and they know they have AR-15s locked in the arsenal, and maybe even after school when you got the kids in a big group, you know, have the guys throw their AR-15 over the shoulders and stand up forever to watch over these kids, especially in um, certain areas where you talk about a guy being in the woods. Well, that's part of what they're trained for, to look for the guy in the woods. You know, and, and if you got, and that's what you do. You drive your truck through the, the bad air, and you're looking for bad guys. That's your job is to protect these students. It's very much like uh, these guys that I have some friends of mine. Their job is uh, State Department security. When you got these people all overseas, you know, they're guarding the embassy kind of thing. They're keeping an eye out to see what's going on. You know what I mean? Yep. Got you, Breeze. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. And, and look, you know, all of the above. I mean, that's the answer there, all of the above. What Breeze is trying to, Breeze and I text a little bit last week about this. I mean, I don't know if you call it this, but it's almost like teacher special forces. You know, this person has a, a certificate to teach, um, you know, English or, or, or math or science or, or whatever it is, but they've also been rewarded financially uh, by going the extra mile to understand protection and surveillance. There's a reason that the Capitol and White House have barricades and fences. There's a reason it has metal detectors. There's a reason it has security surveillance systems. There's a reason it has dedicated points of egress and ingress. There's a reason it has men with guns. That's to keep members of Congress safe and people who work at the White House safe. Why don't our kids deserve serious consideration? Not just our kids. Why don't our kids and teachers deserve the same prioritization that's the point i'm trying to make look guys i think all of the above i mean i'll listen to anybody who has anything to offer and i think we get to a better place and once again as the previous caller said this is very rare but there's a reason it's rare. there's a reason that not many commercial airliners crash redundancies and systems and structure and if this module valve goes bad, there's a backup and then another backup. When you get on that airplane, you're really, really in good hands. It's not that parts don't break, but they have backups, uh, duplicities, and um, these sorts of things need to be implemented in school districts. We're never going to stop people from being evil. We're never going to end moral depravity. We can create barricades and and components that make it a lot more hostile for someone to attack a soft target. Um, if you want to kill someone, are you walking into a uh, a driving range or a grocery store? I mean, I'm just hypothetically. I mean, if you're if, if you're someone possessed or obsessed with, with whatever it is that gets you to that point, I mean, do, do are you are you completely and totally irrational? Isn't there some level of competency someone exhibits? In other words, I'm going to this place with my gun, my two or three guns, and I know nobody's there to confront me. Or I'm going to a driving range, uh, you know, a shooting range where I know everybody there has a gun. Competency kicks in. 
And I think the, the natural first reaction is to harden these soft targets, all of the above. Is, is it some of the self-locking doors, bullet resistance doors? Yes. Is it equipping teachers to defend themselves and their students? Yes. Is it a, a, a further commitment to something a little, uh, you know, the security, re- excuse me, the, um, the student resource, what's it called? Uh, the student school resource, resource school resource, SRO, school resource officer. Um, you know, let's go a degree further than that. Let, that's kind of, I mean, I'm not saying get John Rambo to stand guard at school districts. Well, might not be a bad idea. Let's go to the phone. Here is Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, you know, I, I think we can go into in-depth particulars, but I think the best thing is um, we've got seven, what, about $70 billion in reoccurring funds at uh, uh, Federal Department of Education. Simple as, let's, let's um, abolish the Department of Education and return that money to the states. There's about 130, 131,000 public prop, and private schools in this country. So you do the math, 70 billion divided by 131,000, that's over, that's almost 600,000 per school every year. Uh, so um, California can take that money and they can, you know, do whatever woke um, ideology they want to do. And, and Florida can take that money and show us how you really spend money um, and how you do it correctly. Um, so uh, I, just attack the federal government and take the money from them. Um, you know, we, we want to waste money on everybody else's kids throughout the world, but heaven forbid we waste some money on our kids. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Jim's done the math, and we had a little bit of a conversation um, last week on that. Got a friend of mine who's um, left of center, not anywhere near as um, fond of the Second Amendment as I am. I think he supports the Second Amendment, but he texted me a few moments ago, won't give his name, said, um, how are banning assault weapons, waiting periods, and background checks not on your list of things that will make our children safer? Um I think Jim's raising a point. If California believes that some of these background checks, some of these um, assault weapons uh, bans, some of these waiting periods uh, would make kids safer, then do that. You know, let let California do as California chooses to do. Let New York do as New York chooses to do. And then the metrics and measures of success and failure will um, will reveal itself. But but the you know we we've got to. I'm not one that says we got to do something. I mean, I heard Steve Kerr coach of the Golden State Warriors, say, you got to do something. I mean, if you're going to say, I mean, if you're going to pound the podium and say we got to do something, bring some substance to the table. Tell me what you think we should do. And I think we've offered up multiple reasonable um, suggestions. I'm not saying that Breeze has it figured out. GM has it figured out. Certainly, I don't have it figured out. But I think collectively, there has to be something uh, that we can do to make these targets, I didn't say stop school shootings because I don't think there's anything we could ever do to make sure this never happens again. Guess what? A commercial airline is going to crash at some point in time. It's very rare. It hardly ever happens. How many how many planes are in the air right now? I mean, it's multiple thousands of planes are in the air right now. They'll land, they'll take off, they'll land, they'll take off. We'll never hear about anything until one does it. And then, you know, air travel is the controversy and, you know, pilot error and, you know, what, you know, what part broke on what plane and what airline is more irresponsible than any other airline. And that's just human nature. We all kind of go there when, when, when you have these, these unfortunate things happen. Um, your kid is safe at school. I mean, I'm convinced of that. Your kid today is safe at school. Can we make him safer? Yes. Should we make him safer? Yes. 
how can we make he or her safer? That's the debate that I think is required of all of us. Let's go to the phone. Here's Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hello, Williams. Hey, um, Ken, I want to know, why is Dylan Roof still living? That's a good question. Can you find out the answer? I, I, the next breath he takes is a, as an insult to humanity. He has no business alive today, except we have this judicial system that allows for stays and periods of extension and um, uh, protesting a hearing or whatever. But Williams, you and I don't agree a lot. We'll agree there. Um, he okay, should he, he should not be breathing God's air. Okay, if that was a black dude winning a white chase and killed nine people, you think he'd still be living today? Don't have any idea. I mean, I, I can't. I, I don't have any idea. Okay, I got one more question. Sure. Is white supremacy is a mental illness? White supremacy, a mental illness. I think it's. I think it's wrong. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. I mean, I don't know about an illness or not. I think it's wrong to believe that one race is supreme over another. I mean, I think in God's eyes, we're all the same. I think God creates black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, dumb people, smart people, tall people, short people, rich people, poor people. I think we're odd. We're all beautiful in God's eyes. Uh, white supremacy. I don't have any idea. If if somebody out there believes that you're superior to another human being simply because you're of a certain race, um, that's just that, that's just not that's not seeing the world in a godlike um, way. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Want to go back through this seventh congressional district poll that broke over the weekend. We'll have some new numbers, probably the middle of this week, but there's a poll that was out toward the end of last week. We'll discuss that, but right now, got a couple of calls. Let's go there. Carl in the PD. Hey, Carl. Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, you Carl. All right? Yes, sir. Here you fine. Hey. Oh, I was just I was just listening to uh, Fleetwood Mac song. I thought about you, Ken, but I was on the phone already anyway. Good deal. Um, let me let me ask. Well, let me say something. There are people who are, are like comparing these shootings to. Well, on the left side, they're saying, "Well, they need as many rules against guns as they have against abortion." Right now, I wouldn't say that if they weren't bringing it up. But here's the thing: abortion is undefeated. Um, you got every year you'll get a, a million kids or babies that get chopped up and vacuumed out of the mother's womb with abortion. And they're not, and they're like a hundred, maybe a hundred, let's say 150 million females out here. All of them, obviously are not getting pregnant, but that's a lot of abortions. You know how many of these mass shootings we have every year? Take a guess. Uh, depends on how you distinguish a mass shooting or categorize. Oh, kid, people, people killed in the mass shooting. Uh, Number of people killed in the mass shooting. One half a year. One half of one a year. No, no, no. How many people get killed in these mass shootings uh, every year? 50 to 100? It's, it's usually less than 200. Okay. Now, that's off of 300 million guns. Okay. So you got 300 million guns out here with, you know, 
200 people getting getting um, killed in mass shootings every year. Now, that's not counting the, you know, homicides, because that's in the thousands, right? Homicides are in the thousands. When you go to places like Baltimore and St. Louis and places like that. But, I mean, these people who are trying to make a, make a case for um, abortion, I'm like, abortion has slaughtered more people. I mean... You, you, on a monthly basis, you'll you have um, you know eighty thousand babies aborted a month. That's I mean that is nowhere not even close to this uh, to this whole thing. Now let me answer um, what's his name Williams because you gave the best answer to his question about white supremacy because that is a that is a weird topic. Um, there's nothing, uh, what he, what did he say? Mental illness. There's no mental illness associated with, uh, white supremacy because even the anti-racists will tell you that white supremacy gave us America, gave us not, not just America, you know, culturally gave us the economy that we have. Now I am not an apologist for white supremacy. But and it's kind of complicated. I'm not going to go into why it works. But that is, if if this were not a white supremacist nation from the onset, we wouldn't be where we are now. But I mean, I'm I'm not just I'm not just saying that because I agree with it. I'm just saying that because even the people who are fighting white supremacy will tell you that that it gave you know that's one reason that people don't touch it is because it gave us the America that we have now. And uh, so you'd be crazy not to practice white supremacy. Now, here's the thing. It kind of gets stuck because you can look around now and see that people of every race are going downhill. And so it's, you know, it's better to kind of be a little more colorblind today and see who's actually competent out there to carry your ball forward because that's kind of that's one reason that America's kind of going down a drain is because so many people are agreeing, oh well, we need you know we need this and we need that and we need drugs and we need um, all this other stuff and everybody's you know going down the tubes. But no, you'd be crazy not to be a white supremacist. Not that I'm saying that anybody needs to be because you know I, I'm the last person to say that. But even the people who are anti-racist will tell you that that, that gave us America. All right, Carl, I, I got to give you a um, – I, I want to give you a question, and I want you to uh, ponder this for a second and answer if you'd like. Um, so we white people are real good at saying what the crime problem is in Chicago, you know, the, the, the black-on-black crime. I mean, a lot of white folks are always saying, well, this is the reason or that's the reason, the breakdown of the nuclear family, uh, you know, um, the subsidizing of the single-parent the single, fa- the single parent home. Um, as an African-American conservative, why do you believe the majority of these killings, and I'm talking about school shootings and mass murder, why do you believe the majority of these are white people? I mean, white people are real good at saying what the crime problem is in, in St. Louis, as you mentioned, or Philadelphia, or, I mean, the black-on-black crime. I mean, we white folk are real good at saying, well, I mean, here's why we have the black-on-black. As an African-American conservative, what what leads you down the road of believing why are these killings, and I'm talking about the, the most recent in Uvalde and Sandy Hook and Columbine, why are they carried out by 
but basically dislocated or disassociated um, white young people. Well, from what I from what I have seen, if you talk about Uvalde and uh, I don't know about Sandy Hook, but there's some, there's, there's, a, there's some overlap, and like on the one in Charleston, a lot of them, and like um, Timothy McVeigh, these are people who are trying to send the message. And so part of, they know that they will get everybody's attention by doing something like that, but they want, you know, no one's paying attention to the fact that there are more guns in this country than there are living and breathing people. Are you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to make, you know, cause this guy in, in Buffalo, he had a whole um, manifesto, 180 pages. I don't think he wrote it because he was 18 and I mean, how literate are, are um, 18 year olds when it come to, comes to things like that. But I mean, he, he may have some, he may have had some help with that. Same thing with Dylan Roof. Now Dylan Roof jumped from school to school here in South Carolina. He couldn't have been, you know, that, that burst in writing up manifestos, but these, these guys that do this mass, you know, terrorism have these manifestos and they're trying to make a point and they're trying to push their agenda. Whereas, you know, crime on the streets of not, you don't even have to go to Chicago. You can go to Columbia and Florence. Crime on those streets are, you know, something totally different. Nobody's trying to send a message. They're, you know, protecting territory and selling drugs or whatever they're doing. So, you know, the fact that it's, it's white people, you know, I just don't know that many black people who have um, a point to make where um, something like this is concerned to the, to the extent that they're going to get it, get people's attention by killing them. Interesting. But there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, America, Hey, here we go again. America was steeped into violence to get your point across. What was the Boston tea party about? I mean, that was, that was violence to get your point across. We, we have a history of that. And you kind of take the good with the bad with that. Now, not that anything that has happened here was good, but this is, this is a prime example, a couple of prime examples of things that's being blown completely out of proportion. Because like I said, there will be more um, abortions today in America than there have been people killed in these mass shootings in five years. In the last Paul five Moore. years, they'll have more abortions today. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. Yeah, the abortion number is somewhere between 700,000 and a million every year. has been that way for years and years. Somewhere north of 700, south of a, of a million babies will be aborted in America. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're halfway through the year. There will be about that same number aborted um, this year. I just think there's an interesting psychological dynamic that, that I try to grapple with. And, and once again, when, when you when you think about these things and you try to understand these things, um, you know, what makes, I mean, I'll give an example. What makes Ted Kaczynski turn into the Unabomber? What makes um, Timothy McVeigh turn into what he turned into? What makes Dylan Roof turn into what he turned into? Um, you know, we won't know the story behind this most recent killer in Uvalde, but they seem to fit some degree, I mean, some criteria. Uh, they have a point to make and an expression to make people aware of. Um, you know, is, is it is it a mental illness? Is it 
moral depravity? Is it evil? I, probably a combination. And I don't, I don't think it's unfair. I mean, I think it's unfair to look at Kaczynski exactly like Timothy McVeigh, exactly like, you know, the Columbine shooter and Sandy Hook and all these other sorts of things. But there is some degree of political expression, uh, of social animus. Um, a lot of ingredients go into that uh, devil's brew, so to speak, that leads someone to that point. Um, but I do think it's something worthy of consideration. And Rev, I keep coming up with this. I mean, I don't know that I'm right. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, a psychiatrist by any stretch. But but it seems to me when we do some level of postmortem, we find out these people began to become isolated. I mean, they began isolating themselves from society, and out of that came, you know, a, a manifesto, whether they wrote it or not. I mean, I think Kaczynski is perfectly capable of writing his manifesto. And I think Kaczynski was, I mean, go read it. I mean, it's very revealing and riveting and, and interesting. Now, once again, nobody has a right to mail other people bombs. Nobody has a right to walk into a school or a theater or anywhere and mow down innocent people. I'm not, uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination, glorifying any of that. But but what about the human, um, I don't know, Rev, the, the human mind or the human condition? What, what What gets that person to that point? Dylan Roof, for an example, where he can rationalize walking into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and just killing innocent human beings, black, white, red, green, yellow. Uh, you know, that, that's just, there's something kicking there in our society. And once again, well, from what I read and what I try to comprehend, that there's a kind of a self-imposed isolation that happens. And out of that comes these warped and weird, I'm talking dark corners of the web. I mean, you've heard this recently, you know, these people find solace and comfort and, and a sense of belonging in the dark corners of the, uh, of the web. Um, I mean, I, you know, I can get discouraged. I can get down. I can get uh, to the point of having a bad week. Um, am I, am I depressed when I get to that point? What, what is the next step, you know, from you being discouraged the the grind of the week? I mean, I've heard you come in here and I've come in here and expressed to you, man, I'm just tired of this mess for a while, you know, and uh, be glad when July 4th gets here and we can check out for a week or so. Well, we stop there. I mean, you, you, for whatever reason, you've got some ability to say, that's enough of that. You know, I don't want to go any further down that rabbit hole, but some people, for whatever reason, just can't stop. They can't constrain themselves. And the next thing you know, they go to a gun shop, buy a gun or two guns or three guns, uh, knowing full well what they're eventually going to do with those guns. What gets that person to that point? And, you know, I think it's some, I mean, I think to some degree it's evil. I think to some degree it's this moral depravity and desensitizing human life. I think video games and glorifying violence have played into that. I think absolutely mental illness is real. And, and not treating mentally ill people as they deserve to be treated is something this country should be somewhat ashamed of. But I just think it's, uh, once again, I'm not glorifying it by any stretch. I just think it's so interesting how Rev is able to say, that's enough of that negativity. You know, let me get back. I mean, I, I'm very thankful and blessed, and I know I am. So, you know, despite having to get up at 5, 4.30 in the morning, life is still good. But, but somebody else goes there and then a step further and a step darker and darker and darker and darker until there's just no alternative. Uh, and you act upon so some of that isolationist impulse that you've allowed to be the dominant future. I, I know I'm psycho babbling here, but I, it's just such an interesting phenomenon when we do these um th these kind of postmortems on how that person turned into that. Take a break. 
Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Here's Matt in Florence. Good morning, Matt. Hey, guys. It's been a while. But, um, yeah, everything we talked about this morning, uh, you know, it's all great, like arming the teachers, maybe maybe getting them some training, maybe hiring some ex-military people to be like an emergency response team in the school. All that's great, but only one side is interested in that, and that's Republicans. The Democrats, they're not interested in in that stuff. What they want to do is be able to stand on a podium with tears in their eyes and say, if only the Second Amendment was gone, your kids would be alive. They only want the issue um, regarding the Second Amendment. It's got nothing to do with protecting kids. Because, I mean, if they really cared about protecting kids, they wouldn't be killing millions of them a year or however many it is. Um, that's just the way they think. Anything other than, you know, stricter gun laws or gun control and things like that is a non-starter for them. And for us, you know, we're actually looking at methods and philosophies that could uh, protect lives, but that's not really the point for the Democrats. And I think you you know that deep down, and, and probably Rev does too, and most of the callers do. Um, so we can keep coming up with solutions, but uh, while the Democrat, the, the legislature and all that's held by Democrats, um, we're just basically farting in the wind or, or whatever the analogy is. I don't really think they care about that. They just want gun control when, and because an unarmed population is an easier population to control. And ultimately, they believe that we're all stupid and that old Uncle Sam's got the best for interest in mind for all of us. And that's the way we need to look. And they're going to do it either uh, with us willingly or they're going to do it by force. Um, and that's just the way it is. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. I will say this. The reason that I would address this without the federal government is exactly what Matt said. The federal government has no interest in this. Even the Republicans at the federal level don't have much of an interest in being aggressive in pursuing what I call solution-based government. That's why I said earlier, this would be an issue I think we could address at the state level. And if people in California are okay with giving up their Second Amendment privileges and rights, then, you know, give them up. I mean, you know, that's what we've all um, agreed upon, that we're not going to look to the federal government, but the states instead to be the political laboratories for which things are enacted upon or, you know, good government comes from. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you're a Californian and you want to, you know, uh, basically allow your state legislature to usurp your Second Amendment right, then, you know, have at it. Um, But in good old red state South Carolina, um, that's not going to happen. Let's go to the phone. John in Bennettsville. Hello, John. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, John, how are you? I didn't know this. And there's a, a fellow by the name. He has a YouTube channel, uh, Officer Tatum. He calls it the Tatum Report. And, uh, you know, I didn't hear nothing about it on the news. I had to find out about it from his channel, that there was a mass shooting that was getting ready to take place at a party in West Virginia. But there happened to be a uh, armed citizen that intervened and took the shooter out. And the uh, the shooter had a had him a long laundry list, and it wasn't a record for perfect attendance at Sunday school. I can tell you that much. But anyway, I mean, he shouldn't have been able to have had a AR-15. But he didn't get his AR-15 from a store. He got it off the street. And Officer Tatum goes through the uh, 
the time and stuff of, of how long it would take law enforcement to respond and if you've got the right address and he just you know he, he breaks it down on, in the video well we have to realize the the person responsible for our safety is ourselves uh, we're responsible for protecting our family that that police officer Lord knows how long it's going to take them to get there and by being armed, I mean, I'm not saying that's perfect, but at least you have a chance. I mean, it's better than left and right hook. And uh, like I said, one of the issues he brought up is that you'll never hear anything about this on the news because this goes against the narratives because it took a person, a good guy with a gun, to stop the bad guy with a gun. And it wasn't law enforcement. It was Joe Citizen. Yeah. I did see, thank you, appreciate the call. I did see the story. Um, I guess I'm not as bothered by the national news doing what the, or the mainstream media, doing what the mainstream media does because it's who they are. I mean, they've proven time and time and time again that they have no interest in impartial journalism. They just don't. I mean, they, they have morphed into a monolithic, liberal, propagandizing, cheerleading section for the American political left, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Take a break back in a minute the last hour of this tuesday that feels like a monday despite all the doom and gloom and despite all the problems facing america i went yesterday and saw a red state movie top gun maverick go. um you know hollywood doesn't make a lot of pictures uh, a lot of movies that i don't know embody patriotism and uh masculinity and uh, taking care of the bad guy uh, but yesterday, I was thinking about uh, American Sniper would have been a red state movie. I think that was in 2014 or 15. And since then, you said it's been ready about two and a half years, but they held it or withheld its release because of, of COVID. And um, seems like I've been seeing those trailers online yeah, for that long. For a long, long, long time. Uh, my wife, daughter, and I went yesterday. And I'm telling you, uh, if you remember the 85 or 6 movie, Top Gun, the need for speed. It is um, it is absolutely uh, worth your time. And I mean that sincerely. Now, it's full of cliches, you know, Goose and Maverick and uh, the the pretty girl leaning on the Porsche and the dude, you know. I mean, it's, it's all that typical 80s shallowness that you and I were, <laughs> were immersed in. That's uh, so cool. Back in our prior. Yeah, it's very cool. The shallowness of the 80s is still timeless as far as I'm concerned. But it is a um, it is a very very patriotic movie, and um, I call it a red state movie, and I give it a thumbs up, two thumbs up. If I were, what were the guy's name? Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, right. Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up. So um, it, it's worth your time. It's worth your time to go uh, watch Top Gun Maverick. I think is the name of it. Let's go to the phone. Charles in Florence. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Charles. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I wanted to say something that doesn't have anything to do with what y'all have been discussing about the shooting in Texas. But it's just a thought, since I'm a native of, of Florence and, and I live in the 7th District, and I saw the debate you had, and I thought it was a good debate, but I had a thought that you might follow up with, and that is, if you were to dedicate two hours of one of your programs to another debate where you call all five of the candidates and ask them to be online, but 
what you do prior to that is you request that the listeners submit questions to you over a period of several days, and you pick five questions to each one of these people and ask them one at a time, and don't give them an opportunity to shout back at the other about anything. Just ask them straightforward questions that citizens of the 7th District find important, and you, you give each one of them 24 minutes, you give them four minutes to answer a question, don't give them an opportunity to shoot at the other person. I, I don't care what they think about the other person. I care what they think about um, improving circumstances in the district and in the country. And that way, they would. I th- that way, I think people would really get a sense of what each one of them has to say and get an idea of their own character. Just a thought. Thank you, Charles. Well, I mean, and you're, we're, I think we're keeping up with you. We've actually, I told Dave, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, I said, look, in the debate, it's uh, it's time sensitive. You got, you got, you know, you got your breaks. Every, every candidate's got three minutes. You really don't get to the crux of what they believe about certain issues, infrastructure, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, um, the impeachment. So we have reached out to every single one of these campaigns. In fact, um, Spencer Morris was on the week before last, I think it was on Friday a week ago, and I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, we really got to the Georgetown Mill supply, excuse me, the Georgetown Mill steel mill site, and, and what do they need to do there? Does it need to be, um, you know, a re- commercial slash um, residential resort site, or does it need to maintain its legacy status as the largest employer in Georgetown County? Uh, we had kind of a substantive uh, debate with uh, with uh, Spencer Morris. And we're going to do that with the with each and every other candidate. Um, now, I don't know that I'll farm the questions out. I mean, I'd love to have input from you guys, and I mean that sincerely. Yeah, call in. I mean, let me know what you would like Tom Rice to answer or what you would like uh, Russell Fry to answer or Barbara Arthur to answer or, you know, um, Ken Richardson to answer. Rev, when are the candidates? We're two weeks today from the election. Two weeks from today, we're going to have the 7th Congressional congressional primary in the republican party and we've got these candidates lined up um and you said you communicated with russell fry uh campaign we don't have fry down yet he's coming but we don't have a time yet but we've got the other candidates decided and they are they are and by the way charles i don't think there's a chance we'll get them all in a room to debate each other but i think this one-on-one with ken asking the questions can achieve what you're asking for and here is the schedule so far uh, Dr. Garrett Barton will be here tomorrow morning in the 8 a.m. hour. So he'll be here for the entire hour from 8 to 9 on the air with us talking about his candidacy. And then next Tuesday, the 7th, in the 7 a.m. hour, that's 7 to 8, Barbara Arthur will be in studio answering questions. On Wednesday, June 8th at 8 a.m., Ken Richardson will be here for that entire hour from 8 until 9. And then Monday, June 13th, the day before the primary election, Congressman Rice will be here in the 8 o'clock hour from 8 to 9. We also have invitations extended to Russell Fry, who we've heard back from, just had not coordinated the date yet. And also, we have an invitation into Mark McBride, and I don't, I don't believe he's responded yet. Yeah, and uh, I think he's a guy that's a little bit angry with us because he thinks we uh, blackballed him from the debate, would let him participate in the debate. Um, I mean, it, we have nothing to lose by him not being here. He has a lot to lose by not engaging you, our listeners, and Republican primary voters. But, Charles, that's a great idea, and we're trying to do that. And I want to facilitate an hour of radio where we have some sort of um, – I mean, there's some meat on the bone. There's some substance there. And, and what I tried to do with Spencer was um, 
you know, kind of heading back in the right direction. Now, to his credit, I mean, to his credit, he didn't got, you know, I mean, excuse me, he didn't got, he didn't get too far out there when it came to, you know, the question and giving the answer. Um, when you, when someone's a political novice, they make the fatal mistake of answering the question. There's so much beauty in that, but so much danger. Once you're a little bit seasoned, you know, I mean, I remember in my political days, I've, I've used this example before, um, you know, uh, Ken, what is the price of eggs in China? I don't know, but government's too big. It spends too much money. There's always these zingers or sound bites that you got to make sure you get in. But, um, but I think I can do a good enough job of keeping these people kind of on task, on point, talking about the issues that we're discussing because you, the voter, deserve to know that. Now, we do have some breaking news on this race that we talked a little bit about much earlier this morning. Let's circle back to that. I told Rev at appropriate time, we need to go back to this. Um, this race is, for whatever reason, not included a lot of polling. And over the weekend, we had a poll break. Um, I think Friday afternoon is when the 7th Congressional District poll came out. Um, it, it, it's legitimate. I mean, it's a good poll, but it is a little bit pushy. I reached out to the Fry campaign, and I asked about, you know, the who paid for the poll. Um, you have to explain what pushy means. Well, pushy means... Um, if, if you and I are running against one another and, and I would ask a Republican primary voter, Hey, did you know that Dave Baker has been divorced seven times? And the next question, who would you vote for in the Republican? So you push the respondent to, to, to believe negative about one candidate, positive about another. That's a push poll. Now, now, once again, this is not a push poll. This is a very legitimate poll, but I believe it's a little bit. You can't see my fingers here. They're about a half inch apart. It's a little bit pushy. Not much, but a little bit. Um, it is a legitimate poll. It's the first legitimate poll I've seen in the Republican primary 7th Congressional District. Um, and I kind of sort of know who paid for it, but, but I kind of sort of don't. So I, I don't want to put the name on the street. I mean, I, you know, I think I know how this poll worked itself out. Now, we'll have Trafalgar. At some point in time this week, that we're going to do it last week, but Robert had a lot of cleaning up in Georgia to do. Um, missed the uh, Georgia gubernatorial race by about 18 percentage points, and it drove him crazy. And now he's realized that 180,000 Democrats voted in the Republican primary in the state of Georgia. Now, what did they vote for? They didn't vote for anything. They voted against Donald Trump. And we've always said that we believe, to some degree, that'll be some of the right strategy in this um, 7th Congressional Republican primary is to elicit support from Democrat um, voters. It's, it'll take a lot. I mean, it'll, it, South Carolina, the 7th Congressional District doesn't include the city of Atlanta. I mean, when you're looking for 180,000 Democrats in Atlanta, you don't have to look far. I mean, you really don't. I mean, they're everywhere in Atlanta. Heavy African-American population. We know that Southern African-Americans, by and large, vote 90%. Democrats. So those are just, uh, you know, demographic realities that came to play in in Georgia that some of the Trafalgar polling and some of the other polling, nobody had Purdue close, but nobody had him losing by 40 or 50 points. I mean, everybody had him losing by between 15 and 30 points, uh, but 180,000 Democrats voted. That's why the number got so big. And, and a lot of these polling companies are trying to uh, postmortem seems to be our word of the day today, but do a somewhat of a postmortem on um, how did we get it that wrong? I mean, they got Georgia and Herschel right. They got Raffensburger about right. They just missed 
the Kemp Purdue gubernatorial election. So let's go to the um to the seventh congressional Republican primary poll, which is the first I've seen that was not done by a candidate. I mean, I've seen polling, but all the polling has been done by a candidate. Well, that's push polling. I mean, that's to make your candidate appear to be stronger than he really is. Hear what the numbers are, and I'm going to try to talk about the pushing just a little bit. Russell Fry, 39%. Tom Rice, 23%. Undecideds, 18%. Barbara Arthur, 8%. Mark McBride, 5%. Ken Richardson, 4%. Garrett Barton, uh, actually 2.3%, 2% round up, round down. And Spencer Morris at 1.7, round up 2%. So those two are at 2%. Um, Barton, Dr. Barton will be with us tomorrow, and we'll talk about him being at 2%. Uh, what is the Hail Mary? What is the swing for the fence there? Now, here's where I believe it's a little bit pushy. I don't think, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's hard for me to believe Fry's at, at, um, at 39 and undecided's at 18. I mean, I still think the undecided is probably closer to 25, and I think Russell's probably closer to 20, excuse me, to 35, 34 35 percent so so if when i look at some of the um some of the realities of the poll i don't want to say sample because i've not seen the sample but i think rice is about where he is how many times have i said that i think rice is probably the mid-20s so he's at 23 tom may be as high as 25 in some of these polls but he's going to be somewhere 23-ish 4-ish 5-ish i've always thought that that fry may be in the 30s i had him in the low to mid 30s this poll has him at 39 um i'm not saying the poll's not right and the poll is not a ploy. This is not a push poll. This is a legitimate poll that is, you know, I think the margin of error is 4.5%. That's kind of a big margin of error. Um, they're normally 2.5%, I think this margin of error is 4.5%. might be 4.9%, um, 600 sample, if I'm not mistaken. may have been 500 sample. I'd love to see a poll with better than 1,000 likely voters. I mean, that really gives me a good feeling about where this, this race is. But this is a credible poll, um, and, and, you know, Arthur's about where I thought she'd be. I said a couple of weeks ago, I thought Barbara Arthur may get to 10%. She's at 8%. I said nobody else will be in double figures. They're not. I had Russell Fry at about 35-ish. I had Tom Rice at about 25-ish. I had Undecided at about 25-ish. And the others, I mean, that would be kind of the way you could divide this race. You know, you got you got the Undecided 25, you got Rice 25, and you got the rest of the balance of the field at about uh, 15-ish. And then you've got you've got fried about 35. I think that's how it stacks up. Um, you think many of the undecideds break toward Rice no, in the end? No, the undecideds are deciding between the, the people that didn't vote to impeach Donald Trump. That's what I've always maintained. And look, guys, I've had some fairly testy conversations with the Rice folk. You know, about some of the things we said over the year. You got to stop that, man. You're making this thing look like it's done. No, I mean, this thing is not done. I mean, it, you know, we'll find out not in two the weeks. Say and, so. and I don't have any more say than you do. I mean, you're a voter. I'm a voter. I mean, you go cast your ballot and, and vote for the candidate you believe um, suits your fancy. I'm just looking at it not from a, you know, who do I like the best? Who do I want to win the most? Um, I'm looking at it as math. And when I look at the Hagman race in Wyoming, which is a club for growth poll. I mean, they said they paid for this poll. It's got Harriet Hagman at 56%, Liz Cheney at 26%. So this thing has Hagman, Trump endorsed, at 56%, Cheney, who voted to impeach Donald Trump, at 26 
I, I just don't know how you get in the 40s. I mean, I, you know, and for the lot, Horry County, Florence County, and, and the 7th Congressional District may the, be, be the biggest outlier in the history of American politics. They may figure out a way to get 15,000 Democrats to vote. But the, I'm telling you, just, just simply, I mean, and I'm talking about as a somewhat of a student and somewhat astute at politics in South Carolina, um, I just don't know how you impeach Trump and get away with it. I just don't. I mean, for the life of me, and and some of the rice folk will say, "Well, here's the strategy, and here's the um, you know, here's the um, the priorities, and here's the." I get all that. I mean, you're running a campaign based on the hand you're dealt, but your guy voted to impeach Donald Trump, and I just think there's a big price to pay for voting to impeach Donald Trump. It's not the Trump endorsement. I mean, that that's a factor. There's no doubt about it. Hagman is gaining some momentum by Trump's endorsement. Obviously, Fry's gained some momentum by Trump's endorsement. But this is people in a district or a state, in Wyoming's case, that are just not going to let a Republican primary candidate get away with, with, with voting to impeach a Republican president who still has a popularity uh, in the 80s in Wyoming, in the mid-80s in, in the 7th Congressional District. And I think this poll reflects some of those stark realities. Um I mean, it's still it's still a race. You got two weeks until until election day. But when you look at the numbers today, now here's what'll be very interesting. When we get the Trafalgar numbers, I mean, I'm predicting the Trafalgar numbers will have Fright 35, Rice at about 25, Undecideds at about 25, and nobody else in double figures. That's kind of the way I'm looking at the Trafalgar poll. Well, I mean, if you've got Rice in this poll at 23, Rice in a Trafalgar poll at 25. How do you get to 50? I mean, how do you double that number? That's just, it's unbelievable to believe you can do that with Republican primary voters. Um, You give me, I mean, just say generic candidate who voted to impeach Trump, generic candidate who's been endorsed by Trump. I mean, that's that's a big deal, guys. And I just, uh, (laughs) it's nothing personal with me. It's, as far as I'm concerned, who the next member of Congress that represents the seventh congressional district? I mean, I'm not waiting on some appointment unless they would create an ambassadorship to Polly's Island, and then I'd be very <laughs> interested in that. But but there, there's the poll that we have, and we think we'll have another by maybe tomorrow Thursday at the latest. And and I think the the subsequent poll from Trafalgar will probably corroborate some of what we have here. Um, in essence, I think 39 is probably a bit high for Fry. I think 18 undecided is probably a bit low for undecideds. But but the driver of this race has never been candidate A, B, C, D, E, F. It's never been the budget of this candidate or the budget of that candidate. It's been all about somebody voting to impeach Donald Trump. Same in Wyoming, and that's a club for growth poll who once again has Liz Cheney 30 points behind Harriet Hagman. Let's go to the phone. Here is Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Yeah, every poll I've gotten has been a massive push poll. I mean, first question, did you vote for Trump? Would you vote for somebody that impeached Trump? Do you know that Trump endorsed so-and-so? Did you know that this guy voted to impeach Trump? Would you vote for this guy? I mean, it, it was so pushy, and about the last 10 I've gotten has been similar to that. But you were talking about the uh, the Top Gun movie, 
You know, those guys are so good. I spent 26 years in the military, and we always said the weakest link in the chain is our downfall. The chain can only be as strong as the weakest link. That's why we practice. Exercises to us were hell. War was easy because we did it so much it came as a a natural response or reaction to an emergency. And you've got the same thing going on in the schools. They have to practice. You can do everything perfect, and one part of that chain breaks down, and the whole plan fails. Just like they they had the, the, the lockdown at the school, but they didn't lock the, the outside door. The teacher ran back in and got her cell phone, called 911, but she didn't go back and lock that door. She ran into her classroom, but she didn't lock her classroom door. So they, they've got to figure out a way to take time either on teacher work days to practice, you know, active shooters to where it becomes second nature, you know, because that's a panic situation when you got somebody, and I understand 17 people were wounded from this guy outside the school shooting through the window. A lot of glass and shrapnel and everything else was, was hitting people, so they were wounded while he was outside. But he was able to walk in through a propped open door with a brick. So those guys are so good in Top Gun. And our military is so good because we do it over and over and over. Just like the football players. They run the same play every practice, every practice, every practice. So that whenever they call that number, they don't have to think. They just do the motion. They become perfective in it. So they've, they've got to practice and they've got to take time and that costs money, I understand. But I'm willing to pay that little extra money if that's what they'll do. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. The reason that I think these two races have a lot in common, they're very conservative states. And one, I mean, both races include a Trump endorsement and an impeachment vote. That's why I just think it's so, I mean, all the other members of the house who voted to impeach trump i say all the majority are not running for re-election you know the uh, adam kinzinger and i don't know there there's six or seven others who've decided that now's the right time to resign uh because you see you know you see the writing on the wall rice and cheney or they're gonna see this thing through um you know they perceive it to be the honorable thing to do the the difference here and i've said it and i'll say it again um some of you agree some of you disagree with me here um, the similarities in Wyoming in the 7th Congressional District, and, and somebody texted me a second ago and said, what district in Wyoming? It's the entire state. I mean, there's there's two senators and one House member from Wyoming. Uh, just think of that. I mean, that's kind of odd, but that's the nature of population. It's very sparsely populated. It's ranching slash farming country, um, really ranching by and large. The Cheney family is a powerful brand in Wyoming. Um, if I'm Liz Cheney, you know what concerned me? When Jeb Bush's son lost in Texas. I mean, that's kind of guilty by association. The establishment globalist Republican Party 
is a thing of the past. Not quite yet, but it's heading that way. Now, there will be the grifters. I mean, there will be the Lincoln Project crowd and some of the other establishment orthodoxies that cling with every fiber of their being to the old Republican Party. Um, We talked about it this morning, and I'll say it again. There's an article in The Guardian, which is a kind of a liberal publication, but um, it goes into detail about Tealism, the book The Contrarian. The New York Times said that he's the scariest smart man in America. Uh, That's all I need to know. I mean, if the New York Times believes that you're the scariest smart man in America, I want to be on your team because our views and viewpoints probably align more than not. But in, um, in, in this Guardian article, Peter Thiel is quoted as saying that Trump's ideologies need to morph themselves into or need to be shaped into a disciplined political platform. I mean, I've said it and I'll say it again. I think Thiel adds a, a level of intellectual grit to the the Trump ideology of I mean if you're not careful it, you, some of the um some of the believers can be labeled isolationist um they they can be labeled ah what fringes uh, on the fringes of, of policies when it comes to um you know America's role and responsibility on the world stage I got sidetracked there for a second okay I mean this is kind of breaking news for us oh. um Trafalgar has new data uh, Robert just texted me a second ago and says he'll be happy to come on our show tomorrow. Um, probably can't get him on today, but we'll get Kahaley on tomorrow from Trafalgar. And we'll have, I mean, I would imagine cool. they'll, they'll release this data at some point in time today, but we can go into more, a little more detail. Once again, um, the, the only poll that I don't call a push poll, uh, somebody texted me a second ago, why would you do a push poll? Well, I mean, the push poll leads people, leads campaigns, uh, gives campaigns a better understanding of what motivates the voter. I mean, I'm pushing you, but you're responding to my push. And, you know, are, are you responding to the impeachment vote? Uh, I'll give an example for an, uh, here, here's a good push poll. You ready? Um, who would you vote for in a Republican primary that included Russell Fry and Tom Rice if you knew Tom Rice voted to impeach Donald Trump and Russell Fry had been endorsed by Donald Trump. I mean, that's a push poll, right? Um, if you're doing a push poll and you're fair-minded about it, guess what else you say? Um, let's say I run for office again. Um, what What is your first thing you want to know is your name ID, right? I mean, how many voters, how many of you know the name um, Kennard? And, and a certain percentage in this district would. Um, it'd probably be... Uh, 15, 18%, somewhere there about, which ain't a bad number. 15%, that sucks. Well, it's really not when everybody <laughs> else is at 1% or 2 or 3%. So if you get a 20% name ID, you hit the lottery. Uh, if you're not Donald Trump or, you know, Michael Jordan or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or somebody like that, uh, you got a 20% name ID. But here's what I would want the first question asked. Um, are you are you aware at all of some of the ethical problems that um, Kennard had in the 2010 lieutenant governor's race. And, you know, let's say of the 20%, let's say half said, yes, I remember well. Um, would you vote for him again? You see where I'm, I'm we're gathering data. Mm-hmm. The push poll is intended to gather data. It's also well, giving data. Well, I mean, it gives data <laughs> and, and extracts data. But what you can't do is run from the truth. You just can't. Um, political campaigns will find you out. So, so the, the one thing that candidates who've never run for office, they don't like their name associated with negativity. You don't, I don't, nobody does, but you've got to do that. What is his unfavorables? 
Um, I'd rather not know. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm running for office. I don't want to know who doesn't like me, but, but you need to know that. You need to prepare for a campaign based on what your name ID, what your unfavorables are. So if you're the rice campaign or the fry campaign, you've got to be honest and candid about it. I mean, one's been endorsed, the other impeached. You've got to put that on the table in some of these push polls. Um, what is your opinion of Tom Rice? I like the guy. He's a good congressman. Does your opinion of Tom Rice changes if you found out he voted to impeach Donald Trump? So we're assuming that so many people know this, um, and in all honesty, they don't. It, you got to drive that narrative. You got to create this contrast in a campaign. You got to drive that narrative. Guess what that takes? That takes money. I mean, that that means getting on the airwaves, putting on your on your um, campaign paraphernalia. You know, Trump endorsed, and uh, so so yeah, Kahaley will come on. Tomorrow, uh, Mike, I'll, in the next break, I'll get you his number and let you reach out to him. Maybe by the end of the show today, we can tell you what time he'll be on tomorrow. So this will be day-old polling uh, two weeks out. This will pretty much set the field. Guys, we're going to have a runoff in the 7th Congressional District. I mean, so nobody's going to get 50% of the vote. And and I think there's a 999 percent chance the runoff will be uh between the trump endorsed candidate and the candidate that voted to impeach donald trump i think that in the hagman race there's a couple of other candidates one's at 12 percent one's at nine percent one's at six percent um but i think for hagman to be at 56 percent i mean that's just that's kind of a slam dunk i mean that's really i mean that's taking off and running with it now the, the one thing liz cheney does have is multiple millions of dollars. I mean, she's got six and a half to seven million dollars. You can tell a story um, the way you want it told with that sort of money. I just don't think you escaped that one reality that I said on day one was going to be the deciding factor, and I'll say it on the day before the election. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm looking forward to this. So Congressman Rice will be with us the day before the election. So you know the day before the election he will do his best to explain why he thought he made the correct vote. I'm not here to sabotage nor ambush anybody, but I think there's multiple angles that we can address that scenario um, that, that allows him to explain uh, in an acceptable fashion or, or not so acceptable fashion. I'd love to have Russell, you know, on the show a day or two before the election. So each candidate will have a chance to close their deal out to make their case. Um, and then what you'll see is a is a scurrying about trying to solidify support from those who got 3% of the vote, 5% of the vote, 9 or 10% of the vote. That's a pretty substantial, you know, outlay. In other words, let's say we go to uh, the runoff and Russell Fry had 35% of the vote and Tom Rice had 25% of the vote. That means 45% of the vote are still outstanding, Correct. Uh, 35 and 25 be 60%. That means 40% of the vote is still out there somewhere. Who gets that 40% of the vote? I believe the candidate that didn't impeach Trump gets 40% or the majority of that 40%. But who knows how this plays itself out? Or they'll, uh, you ever read the book, A Team of Rivals? I mean, Lincoln basically said, I may not be your first choice, but let me be your second. And it created this team of rivals, name of the book, I mean, it's as big as the Bible. It takes forever to read, but it is really good political fodder 
Um, so, so yes, I mean, you've got, you know, Barton may be at two or 3% may end up at four or 5%. Um, Barbara Arthur may be at eight or nine. She may up at, uh, at 10%, maybe 11%. Those are substantial blocks of votes when you go back in two weeks for a runoff. So there's a lot of things kicking here that if you're someone who enjoys politics are very interesting and entertaining. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. I'll try to give you a time of the day in the morning that um, Kahaley will be here and um, give you an accounting from the Trafalgar perspective. Back in a minute. It's the math, it's the math, it's the math. <laughs> not, not some of the time, not most of the time, all, all the time. of the time. It always reverts back to the math. And, um, you know, so, so people will scold me and, and reprimand me for, uh, you know, it looks like you're favoring somebody or you want this person to win or you want, I mean, of course I have a favorite. I mean, we all do. I mean, I'm no different than, than you are. I mean, I've got people I like and people I don't like. I can honestly say... When I look at the list of contenders in this seventh congressional race, I know some better than others. Um, there's not one of these people I dislike, in all honesty. I mean, I think Tom Rice is a good man. I think Russell Fry is a good man. I think Ken Richardson's a good man. I think Barb Arthur is a good lady. I think Garrett Barton, he'll be with us tomorrow. I think he's a fine man. Um, uh, Sp- Spencer Morris came in last week and uh, or week before last and acquitted himself very well. I find it to be a very pleasant and, um, and good person. Uh, but but politics doesn't allow you to vote for everybody. I mean, you make a choice, and and we're all motivated by whatever it is that motivates you. Rev, let me ask you, I don't think I've asked you this point blank, but, mm-hmm. I mean, what is the deciding factor? I mean, I'm not asking you who you're voting for, right? but what is the, the most important factor or feature in the 7th Congressional Republican <laughs> primary for you? Did you vote to impeach our president? Okay. I mean, you're going to be in the majority. I mean, 75% of the people are going to the polls that day with that in mind. I'm not saying it's the only thing that matters because if it were the only thing that matter, um, you know, Rice would get 25%, everybody else gets 70, 70, but that's not the way it's going to work. There are going to be a multitude of things that, that play into casting this ballot, but but I think that is the one essential ingredient. I think that is the one factor that supersedes all of the others combined. In other words, if you took infrastructure and you took, you know, the, the Medicare plan of all time, or the Social Security cut plan or entitlement reform plan of all time, um, and you put them in a in, in kind of a big pot, and here's the, um, the Trump impeachment pot, it's going to be bigger than all the others combined. You know, a lot of people say this is all about the Trump endorsement. No, the Trump endorsement is a part of this. But it's secondary to, um, you know, did someone vote to impeach President Trump when his approval ratings are 80? I mean, if Trump's approvals are 65 percent, it doesn't much matter. I mean, it's not a big factor or feature. But when Trump's approvals in this congressional district are in the mid to upper 80s, that's just, once again, that's the math. And, and the math will lead us to the promised land of who wins and who does not win or the, the prognosis and the projections and how likely is it that um, that one candidate wins as opposed to another. Um, getting from 20, I've said it, and I'll say it again. Before I had any ounce of polling, I said Rice will be in the mid-20s. We've got one poll that has him in the mid-20s. We'll probably have another poll that gets him in the mid-20s. I said it's 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 almost impossible for Tom Rice not to get 30% of the vote. It's almost impossible for him to get 50% of the vote. I said that six months ago. 
I stick by that. And I think but isn't the math- there a wild card? How many Democrats will cross over and vote in this race well, I mean, like it, they did in Georgia? Sure. I mean, I would imagine the Rice campaign has that as part of their strategy. I mean, they know they're in trouble. Nobody's crazy who runs these campaigns. I mean, you can have disagreeable opinions, but nobody's insane who runs a campaign. You know... I mean, if you're running Rice's campaign, you know the obstacle is your guy voted to impeach Donald Trump and Trump's approvals are 85-ish in this congressional district. So what do you do? More than one way to skin a cat, right? You want to win. You want to be a senator. Now, now, I mean, a congressman, you're going to be angry. and A lot of our listeners are going to be angry if we find out down the road that the only way Rice was able to win was to get Democrats to vote. But guess what? A vote is a vote is a vote is a vote, and one doesn't count any more than the other. Uh, the person that's voted in the last 20 consecutive midterm Republican primaries, his vote counts one. The person who's voted in the last 20 Democrat primaries who crosses over to vote in this Republican primary, their vote counts as one. Um, if I'm the Trump-endorsed candidate that believe I'm going to benefit from um, the impeachment vote, my job is consolidation. I mean, I'm spending all of my energy trying to consolidate some of the um, Arthur supporters and Richardson supporters and Barton supporters and McBride supporters and, you know, all, uh, what am I believing somebody else here? Uh, uh, Mars. Yeah. Well, I mean, there you go. Um, I'm trying to consolidate all of that support into, I mean, everybody isn't coming with you. There's some that just aren't going to vote for you come hell or high water because they don't like you. There's a, there's a multitude of reasons that you wish they did, but they don't. But if I were the Trump-endorsed candidate and believed that it was going to be me and the incumbent in a runoff, my priority and focus, at least for the last week of that campaign, certainly in the two weeks of the runoff, would be to try and consolidate the support. Look, I know I was not your favorite candidate. I know I was not your, your first choice. Let me be your second. Let me win um, that support over. And um, do endorsements matter? I mean, does Ken Richardson need to endorse Russell Fry, Barbara Arthur, Garrett Barton? I mean, I think there's a symbolic ceremonial advantage to that, but I don't think it rings the bell. I mean, I think voters are independent thinkers. Um, You know, they're not going to do what that candidate says do. I mean, if they voted for Arthur because of the impeachment vote, they're probably going to vote for Fry. Why? Because they like Russell? No. They're going to vote for him because of that impeachment vote uh, once again. So, um, yeah, I, I thought I could confirm with Kahaley what time he'll be with us tomorrow. we got another break. Let's take a break, and maybe, just maybe, um, Robert will respond, and we can tell you, our listeners, what time he'll be with us tomorrow. Back in a minute. 